Volume 2, Issue 81, Tale of Tales. Independent developer Tale of Tales have produced nine video games since their creation in 2003, their stated aim of creating emotionally rich and interactive entertainment whilst eschewing the limitations of competitive play has garnered the studio many avid supporters and some vocal detractors. In issue 81, we're looking at four Tale of Tales games as we explore their meaning and our reactions. Hang on folks, it's going to get emotional. I'm James Carter, and joining me for volume 2 issue 81 of Kane and Rinse are Tony Atkins. Hello! And returning guest from Ready Up, Paul Rooney. All right. <laughs> All right, indeed. Want jaar acht tot het jaar veertig, ja, die Irma was nog jong. Het was een Duitser met de tering, te groot hart, te zwakke long. René, die had een vleesboom, tante Mo is in haar slaap, doodgevallen in een droom. En nooit meer op. So, Tale of Tales. Um, this is a bit of an odd one. We don't often try and cover uh, multiple games in one show, let alone four. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Tale of Tales. Um, founded by, I hope I'm getting pronunciations right here, Oria Harvey and Mikhail Samin. Um, in 2003, they are based in Belgium. Um, they were founded, or from sort of a previous incarnation, of Entropy 8 Zuper, um, whose work was a lot of sort of museum pieces, pieces and art installations. Uh, Paul, what was your first uh, encounter with a Tale of Tales game? It was um, Fatal, one of the games we'll be talking mm-hmm. about later. Um, yeah. It was it was via actually a developer who worked on Silent Hill too. Um, yeah. Occasionally, like you no know, Team Silent were quite well known for the the first and second game, and then they kind of disbanded. Mm-hmm. They went off on on their own directions career wise, and yeah. um, I'd always followed them. You know, um, yeah. I'd always looked up. Okay, very very sporadically. You know, I'd, I was wondering, like you know, what's this guy doing or what's mm. he up to just now? So. Um, I actually ventured onto Takeyoshi Sato's website, yeah. and then I saw he was working on a game. He'd done a lot of other stuff, weird kind of real life sim. I think something to do with like um, educational software he was making, and his work always really interested me because I'd been watching the, the Silent Hill uh, documentary that came with the the, the original PS2 game. And he, as an artist, he always really interested me because he would think of things that not a lot of developers, uh, video game developers, would. And it was to do with the human face, you know. And it mm. would be how he would he would say in the documentary how when a character smiles, it, they don't just smile with their their mouth and their their eyes. You see it in their forehead. You see it in the, their temples. You know, the whole mm. face changes. And he was really into the minutiae of it all. So as an individual, he interested me hugely. And then I jumped, as I was saying, I jumped onto his website and um, saw there was a the game there that was currently in production. And then I looked at the release date, and it was actually uh, the same day as Fatal was released. And right. it was him that was working on Fatal. He he did the faces yeah. um, for that game. So I just immediately clicked by, um, downloaded it there, and then started playing it, and then started extolling its virtues to other folk, you know. But um, it was basically, yeah, it was a bit. Uh, ser- it was a bit of serendipity, I guess. Just being lucky enough to be curious what a developer was doing, and then I found out 
he was working on that game. It was released that day. I clicked by, and then it's, it was all that, that was the first time, basically. And I've always had a bit of a thing for the, the development studio and the two developers. Yeah. And yet, nobody believed David Cage when he talks about the millions of polygons and facial movement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Um, uh, how about you, Tony? Um, mine's a bit more simpler. Um, it, I, don't, I remember back in 2009 upon the past release, uh, that seemed to be the one more so than the graveyard uh, to be getting a, more of a general kind of public, well, I guess, hype. I, I, I hesitant, yeah. hesitant to say, but um, I remember on Games and Jobs podcast, they, they were he- heavily into it and they'd done many shows actually kind of covering around it, talking around it. Uh, and that's where I first heard about Tales of Tales. Uh, since then, I've kind of kept a, a general kind of interest of who they are and the games they've been putting out because you know they at least sound interesting. But I've never actually taken the, the next step and purchased and played. Um, mm. Although they're, they're games that quite often turn up in either indie game bundles um, yeah. or in you know I think. A, a few of them have been almost given away on Steam, you know, ridiculously yeah. low prices. Uh, so I've picked them up over a period of time, but it, it was when you would put them onto the, the the list that we have for games that we'd like to cover on the show, and there was quite a bit of lack of interest. And normally that would that would seal the fate of a game, not actually making it to the final mm-hmm. stages of actually you know being classed as a, a show for Kane and Rinse. But you spoke so passionately about those games, and, and I, I, I felt like you needed one more person on your side. So I decided <laughs> to uh, to put my name down and and you know actually take the the dive into the Tales of Tales universe and and purchase them all and play them for this very show. So playing them, it's it's been relatively yeah, well in, over the last week. Um, but you know, knowledge wise, yeah, you, you, you certainly have heard of the path and. Um, I, I, I'm going to butcher its name. James, what is the new one? <laughs> uh, Biento Leti. Okay, so Biento Leti. Um, yeah. And being the newest one, so that's that's how it ended up on the spreadsheet, and that's how the show ended up. So, yeah. yes, interesting games. But yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much the same. I think I had heard of The, the Graveyard uh, back in sort of around 2008, but The Path was the one that um, that really brought them to, to prominence. Um, we'll talk about it obviously later on, but it's the one that I heard. I think, like you, probably gamers with jobs mm-hmm. and a couple of other podcasts talking about. Um, I think the strange thing was I'd heard lots of talk about it, but unlike a lot of other games where you hear talk about it and then you see a trailer or you know you you see videos going out about it, the path was one that I'd heard described, but I'd never actually seen until I actually started playing it. And um, I think that's what kind of sold me on it was actually seeing the the game in motion. Um, and well, from that point a, on, I, I I just you know uh, soaked up everything I could from the studio. I mean, it's and all these games are, are going to be incredibly hard to to break down and talk about because they are quite abstract, um, and at least mm. you know a lot of faith in in the player reading into stuff, which you know some people like, some people c- can detest. So, mm. but we shall do our best job and and you know work work, work our way through each title. Uh, but the the as I say, the first time I heard about them was the graveyard, and that's the game we're going to start talking about first of all this evening. Um, just to give an idea for anyone who's not aware of it, the graveyard um, is striking because it's a black and white game. It's a very short game, 
you play uh, an old woman who you're given no information about other than what you see during the course of the game. Um, and you start just inside the gates of a cemetery, uh, which uh, is based on uh, a cemetery in... Again, pronunciations are going to be an issue here, but I think it's Isagem or Isagem in Belgium. Um, and you've got a long walkway down to a bench sat in front of a uh, what looks like it might be a, a chapel or part of a church. Uh, and off branching from each side of the path are, are pathways with gravestones lining them. And that's kind of the game. Uh, you can you you walk down the middle of the the cemetery. You can go down the paths either side. Uh, you're just using arrow keys to to move around. Um, you can't really interact with anything. You can't even read the, the graves. Can you, no? no, you can't. I've tried, but it's not clear enough. I think intentionally so. Um, and ultimately, the only place you can go is down to the bench at the end that you can turn around and sit down on. Um, and then a song plays. And that's the the game. I'm going to keep saying game. We'll get later on to discuss whether that's a correct word to use. But it's the word that Tale of Tales use. It's certainly, I think, it's going to be helpful for us just to continue calling mm, games. The terminology now, so. of this will, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think a very simple game. Um, the first thing that struck me was that the trees that are in the in the cemetery, they they turn in the wind, um, and they have almost they're well they're certainly two D, but they have almost a paper art type effect to them. Yeah, they they have a, like a glowy light as well when when you're playing on. Yeah, them. I think that's supposed to be the leaves sort of catching the mm. sunlight um, in in the wind, but it has a really sort of distinctive look. Um, Really interesting as well, I thought. Um, and again, like like the uh, the aesthetics, the sound is is suitably stripped back as well. As you're walking around, there's no music playing until you sit down. It's just uh, sort of the sound of uh, birds. There's a dog barking. You can hear some sirens in the background and, and sounds of, of cars and then the old lady's footsteps. But that's kind of it. Well, and it, I mean, of, of all the games, actually, it, it's... The most simple. I mean, I, I think you know, mm. if it was a piano tune, it would be a you know a, almost a singular note, maybe <laughs> like just <laughs> just the opening. Ding. I mean, it's, you are literally just walking down the graveyard. But but then again, the whole point of it, with its its singular kind of tone, is that it's just incredibly poignant. Um, the idea is that I mean, you can take what you want. So you can be an old lady walking down and sitting on the bench. If that's what you choose to do so, then that's what you get from the game. But all these games ask a lot of the player to imagine more than what is on screen. So, for instance, for me, you know, you are a very old lady who's walking very, very slowly through a graveyard. You know, clearly, you know, you are at death's door. And for me, it was a long walk and kind of seeing the graves around me, like the memories of, of things that have been and, and gone and passed and that, you know, you can kind of imagine the people through your life and it takes you a long time to get through the bench and, you know, on that bench, the song plays and there's, you know, she's sitting there contemplating about, you know, the things that have happened in her life, probably mm. saying I've had a good life and, you know, is this is the way I need to go, then, you know, then please God take me. You know, it's, she seems quite yeah. happy and content with the all that she's had in her 99 years on this earth. Who knows? But yeah, so it, it, so you can see it as a very singular tone note, or you can 
put your own elaborate spin of what yeah. she is and who and what she's doing there. And if you dig deeper into these games, so you either wander onto YouTube comments and it's you know they're, they're people having a very singular tone about you know this is ridiculous, this is terrible. You know, I paid money for this five minute experience, and <laughs> you know all the words you can't believe that somebody has posted on the comment page. Or if you dig deeper into you know other forums and certainly tales of tales have some uh, a fantastic community on their forum and people are drawing all sorts of you know deeper understanding of what that means but ultimately it is an old lady walking through a graveyard sitting on a bench um, i mean that's what i yeah. took from it with a slightly deeper understanding but yeah yeah certainly I, I think she's a very frail old lady um and so it, it's the four arrow keys you're using to move around, mm. and if you actually hold forward, I mean, there's no quick way to 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 move this old lady around. She's an old lady, and and she will. It takes her a long time to move. If you actually hold the forward button down, she actually gets out of breath and starts sort of having to really work to mo- keep moving forward, um, which really sort of it it really makes you feel like you're having to work with her almost just to walk down this path. Um, what I did was actually I went down um, three or four of the branching paths off to the side and I imagined that, you know, as you say, this this old lady's we're not given an age, but she's certainly advanced in years and very frail. And I imagined that that was her visiting, you know, friends, perhaps mm-hmm. family, husband, who, who she's already lost. And as you say, she gets to the bench at the end and the effort it's taken just to get there. Um, really, really makes you well. It does make you sort of think about what it must be like to be someone who is who's that frail, and and it would be you know a stretch just to to walk ten twenty paces without stopping. Um, and the song that plays is um, by Jerry Demol, who's um, he he's done a lot of music for Tale of Tales, and it's this uh, Flemish folk song that plays. It's it's almost got a, a sort of. A, almost a whimsy it's it's a very, quite an upbeat folk song but you can tell even though it's in flemish that um the the subtitles come up in english um and you can t- it just it still feels very somber despite the fact that mm. it's kind of it's almost jaunty in in a way it's it's really bizarre and i was i was actually quite shocked the first time that the old lady's head it lolls forward um quite jarringly uh, and she then drops her walking stick, and you realise certainly if you've played the the purchased version um, first time around, you realise that the the woman that you've just sort of uh, sort of felt every step with all the way along the the cemetery path has just died on the on the bench in the mm. cemetery, which is it, it really surprised me that that was that was what had happened. Um, I said as much. I I tweeted Tale of Tales to to say you know, just hadn't expected that. And they actually they suggest that even if you've you've purchased the game, you go and play the free version as well, the trial version, uh, because that's got a different ending to it, uh, which is which is quite interesting. That they would actually advocate playing both the free yeah, so, and then. So she doesn't uh, die at the end. She can she gets back up and you can walk her back out of the graveyard. So yeah, in, in the free version, she doesn't die ever. Um, you, the song plays, and then you get back up and you walk out of the graveyard, and you have the option to either restart or quit. Um, which is true in the paid version. If at any point you you turn around and walk back out of the the graveyard as well, um, but 
Now, the, the description of the game says there is a chance in the paid version that the, the old lady will die on the bench while the song's playing. Um, I have never seen her get to the end of the song um, without uh, dying. Well, you and me uh, had this conversation, and I, I had the first time I right. played for it. Um, she, she, <laughs> the song played, and she got back up, and I was like, oh, I assume I'd leave the graveyard now. Right. And then... Okay. Um, yeah, doing just talking to you. Yeah. I replayed the game, and yeah, this time she did, you know, pass mm. away on on the bench. And it, it's yeah. a lot more impactful. Um, oh yeah, I think yeah. they probably should have just gone with that that singular note. Well, I mean, it's very hard to. I mean, it's one of those games where they give a demo, but ultimately the demo is as long as the the full experience. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a strange one. Um, yeah, it, certainly, I, I've been in the position where I could have stood up before she died after the song had started playing, but. If I've ever tried to, which I have several times, tried to let the song play to its end, um, she's she's always died before I've got there. And at that point, the game does a very strange thing, which is a, a purposeful design decision. Um, the game does not end. She dies mm. and there is no menu option. There's no escape key. There's nothing to, to quit out of the game. What you have to do is alt-tab to the desktop and quit the game by you know, right click and, and close window, and they actually made a purposeful decision to do that because they wanted you to have to, you know, not have an easy way to get away from the fact that this woman had died in front of you, which is uh, quite a strange uh, choice. But I think talking about this now, it's a very simple game. But the the reason that I wanted to include it was it it gives an idea of the sort of games that. Tale of Tales make and the sort of messages they try to send to people um, technically the games may not be terribly in depth but they definitely ask something of the person playing them uh, and they, they definitely have messages uh, not necessarily to, not not messages to sort of tell or instruct but messages for you to try and interpret and, and take away what you want yeah, to from- and this and this is where we trip over the word game because ultimately it's not a game and it's experience um i mean i I still i still think it's important that it's an interactive experience like you know like as you say i think you you do get feedback that she is very frail and that you're controlling her and and you feel the frailty through um either using the gamepad or the keyboard because you know you almost wish there was a run button but how ridiculous would that be (laughs) in this situation yeah um so i think it it, you know but equally you know if that was a you know, a, a short ten-minute film. I think that you know it'd be quite powerful because you see, you can you can draw your own conclusions in there. And although mm. it's the the shortest, and although it's the the most simplest, of certainly of all their their games, um, for me, I I think it's probably probably the most powerful because I mm. I could easily understand what they were trying to achieve um, yeah. with its one note, and I think it it allowed me to put so many more layers on there than some of the other games where I've, I've been left more scratching my head trying to break down the barriers which they've purposely put up um, mm. rather than just being a bit more abstract yeah I think the simplicity does definitely work in its, but Paul in you, its you didn't play this one have you so no no I didn't play it I, I did watch uh, a video of it back when it first came out actually and um, I think yeah I got I got the I was going to ask both of you what do you think the message is or the message mm. is in the game and um, for me, it, I like to hear both of you um, what you decide it is for yourselves. But for me, it was it was basically just the kind of inevitability of mm-hmm. death. You know, it was just it wasn't exploring. It was exploring it kind of. It was it was just confronting you with it. You yeah. know, it was just it was just presenting you with the fact that this happens. You know, death happens. It's mm-hmm. inevitable. 
mm-hmm. um, also she is <clears throat> literally surrounded by death yeah and it just it just happens to her and that's it yeah and it's strange because from there i mean i i've chosen the character of her that you know she's had a really good mm-hmm. life and she wishes you know her friends her family are in this place and if she's going to die anywhere why die alone she must well be there with the people that she's known and loved and she's got to a ripe old age and you know and many like as james said almost like their husband's there and maybe you know even maybe one of her cho- children are there or at least the brothers and sisters it just seemed like and i'd layered that on from absolutely nothing there's no <laughs> there's no text no. on the gravestones anything that's just no. me using my imagination mm-hmm. yeah as I said, somebody could just walk down there and, and completely go, well, you know, she walks to a bench and... Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah. The thing the thing about all other games, and it's one of the biggest things that I like about them, is, you know, you're never, you're never expressly told what to do. You're, you're kind of ushered in a general mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. But also, um, there, as experiences, you're never... You're, it depends... Their effect on you, their messages or whatever, is entirely up to you and, and what you take from it. You know, and I, I do believe this in any kind of work of art. You know, I often say to people <clears throat> when talking about the importance of art, I'm like, if you just walk past, you know, a Leonardo paint, uh, like the the Mona Lisa, for example, if you just walk past it, then it's not a piece of art for you. You know, and people have layered on so many hidden messages with that painting, spent so much time, you know, it's been revered for so long and deemed important but ultimately the importance is the time that you spend with it and what you take from it, so you know, a lot of people and I dare say, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of people playing all their games and this game specifically could just dismiss it as being as being frivolous, as being arty, you know, I hate that phrase um, <laughs> and they just say oh, it's meaningless, or they could mm-hmm. spend 10, 15, half an hour you know, thinking about it, contemplating it and you've just, you know, imposed upon this old woman, this this backstory and you've, mm-hmm. you've ultimately given her a happy ending um, a happy life, sorry, not a, not necessarily a happy ending but certainly a, a happy life you've you've just assumed that she has that and in your exactly, mind, yeah. that, that is true you know, there's, yeah. there's nothing to the contrary to tell you otherwise. And and to bring back to I mean, Mona Lisa brings up so many connotations of stuff but you know, she does have a, a Mona Lisa type face where, you, you know, you're imprinting emotions onto her because it, you know she neither looks happy nor sad mm-hmm. it's ambiguous yeah, yeah. That's it. and, and they have yeah. left it deliberately ambiguous mm-hmm. and I think given given the player um, that kind of that kind of luxury almost <clears throat> allowing them to do that is incredibly important whether or not they choose to give it time to, to contemplate to postulate on it it's entirely up to them but I think that's really an important thing. I would like to see them kind of expand mm. upon that in, in much bigger games, and, and they do in the, in the later games. But um, yeah, it's a story. You've made the story yourself. They've just given uh, they've just given you the tools, you know, mm-hmm. and you've 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 done all this. And I think that's super important. And I, I did pretty much the same. But I was, for me, I was more thinking about it was it was a tenuousness of life. You know, it's here one minute, yeah. it's gone the next. You know, yeah, it's it's the fragility, isn't mm-hmm. it? It yeah, is, yeah. yeah, and that's what that's pretty much what I took from. It. I didn't take her story. It's funny you mentioned the husband. I think James as well. You might think this, but you just assume the husband's dead. Which is at that <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you yeah, it, it, it's he could be alive. You never know. Um, he could be, yeah. But I think it's just 
someone that old and she's visiting a cemetery on her own you know i think there's there is a, a loneliness to her um a sense of of loss but again that's all you know us projecting onto it what we want to see in her um i think what the what's wonderful about her character her actual character model is for for all the fact that she is a blank slate and she does have quite an it's definitely not an expressionless face, but she has a neutral face mm-hmm. in terms of emotion. But there's a lot of character there. So, But it's character that's neutral in a way that you can read into it what you want. It would be perfectly reasonable to imagine that she visits that cemetery every day and is heartbroken by all the people she's lost and and uh, is is incredibly sad and, and hasn't maybe led a, a good life and is now the only way she can cling to life is through the people she's lost and the, the death that she surrounds herself in the cemetery. But like Tony, I, I tended to err on the side of thinking that, no, this was her... Um, her comfort comfort yeah mm. absolutely it's something she did to 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 feel like she was still in touch with people that she'd lost and just to to contemplate life and and the fragility and and the the limited sort of fleeting time we have to be able to experience life and it's crazy i mean th- this is from a 5 minute game <laughs> yeah where she walks through a graveyard to a bench and you know i've i've played hundreds and thousands of games from my entire career of playing games and like I, I took a load of emotions from this just small experiment in, in a way which you know hundreds of games just haven't achieved um yeah just like i said but very very single toned and it's up to the player um, the most basic of of the tales Hales games and you know possibly the most effective <laughs> i don't know because i know you guys do enjoy the next but uh let's move on from the most basic i think yeah well i think the important thing there uh, that i was trying to get across is that taking a character model and be able being able to allow uh, players to imbue that character model with characteristics mm-hmm. without necessarily making them explicit is something that very much shows up in the next game we're going to talk about which is uh, the path which came out in 2009. And Tony, uh, would you be so kind as to just explain a little bit about the path and what it is? Well, once again, like all Telltale's games, but the the general premise that is is fed to the player as you first enter it is that you're playing the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Um, There's seven characters you can can play, but they are all variations of a girl in a red cloak. you know, some are slightly more goth and some are slightly more innocent, it would appear. Um, and the game sets you with a premise to to walk down the path to your grandmother's house. Um, so as as the story would tell, avoid temptation along the way, enter your grandmother's house for the safest of place. But the game sees that as a failed state. So And, and the game actually tells opens up with instructions. Follow mm. the path to your grandmother's house. Do not leave the path. Um and if any gamer is worth his sort, of course they they want to explore more of the game. Um, but for, I mean, the first time I went through it, I decided to go straight to the, the grandmother's house and actually, you know, because I've heard enough about the game just to see what would happen. But as I said, the game sees that as a final state. That's not really what you meant to do. So um, the exploratory part of this is that you do leave the path um, and the wolf is the ever-present on the... Um, presence around you and uh, it's for you to discover all the things that have happened outside of the path there's a different story for each girl that you play um, a different fail state and a different um, success which is to find the thing within the forest 
which then leads you back down to the back to the grandmother's house and uh, different endings play for each. It's it's probably their most gamey of all the games. Um, Very much, yeah. Um, it's probably that's the reason why it's probably the most well known of all their games is because it's you know it's I think people can pick it up and understand the general premise of it. But the the overarching premise then is that what is off the path is um, not just you know. You know, the possibility of death through uh, the mauling of a wolf um, it's the, the predators that lie within the woods and, and in this case it's quite often sexual predators um, yeah. which you know once again flags all sorts of <laughs> emotions <laughs> in your mind uh, little girls wandering into yeah. the woods and strange men sitting on the beds st- uh, sitting on benches taking advantage yeah yeah, it, it very much uh, goes straight for a pretty sort of taboo topic. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into our own feelings, uh, we had a, a comment on the forums from Chopper who said, I picked up the path a few years ago on a whim. Didn't know anything about Tale of Tales or any debate around the path. I was just intrigued by the screenshots. I loved it, despite the gameplay for three or four of the girls. I found it both spooky and horrifying and was amazed at the way it treated its theme of sexual predation and or violence. It really worked for me. I loved the visuals and the sound. The gameplay really let it down, though, and I got fed up with it, wandering through that fucking Mobius strip forest collecting flowers. In the end, I was just speeding through it, trying to find the area that would activate for each girl. I wasn't impressed by the whole subversion of gamer expectations that everyone mentions, because who stays on the path when there are places to explore? Looking up reviews after the fact, there seemed to be a lot made of this. I think that's a distraction from the dark, dark themes of the game. I also looked up Tale of Tales forums, and people there absolutely loved the game, so it spoke to a lot of people, I think. Of course, you often see backlash against Tale of Tales on various forums to this day. I came across an article the other day that describes Tale of Tales games, amongst others, as game-like performance art, and I kind of agree with that. The path is an experience rather than a game. I loved it to a point, but it really did its best to wear you out. It's interesting because the podcasts I've listened to here made me have made me want to replay the games, and I never replay games. Though I liked it, I have no desire to replay the path, so we'll see how that goes. So yeah, he touches on a, a lot of what you've uh, you've discussed already, Tony, which is that there's some incredibly dark themes here, and and also touches on the fact that actually this is the closest to a straightforward game I think that the Tale of Tales have, have made in that there are collectible flowers. There's 144 of them in the woods. Um, I didn't focus on that at all. If I happened to walk past a flower, I'd, I'd let the animation play where you pick up the flower. Um, but for each of the, the six girls that you can start off playing, um, there are key items and key scenes that you can go and explore. So there's key areas of the woods. There mm-hmm. may be a, a broken down trailer or a cemetery or, um, you know, there's a campsite and that sort of thing. And you go there with each girl and each girl has different ways to interact with the scene or the item. Um, and as and, as and when you pick those up, they are collected into your basket obviously little red riding hood's basket uh is a a metaphor for the inventory that the girls uh have um paul how did you find uh, this game when you played it yeah i really enjoyed it um i loved this, the, the really dark themes at first i was i was actually really put off by it you know that whole kind mm. of gothy you know mm. 
kind of super pale girls with hair, black hair, scraped back, and yeah, black, Tim Burton esque. Yeah, quite like uh, playing it now. It's a bit like the new Alice game. Alice Madness yeah. Returns. Yeah, similar in the yeah. desaturated and saturated mm-hmm. uh, sort of looks. Yeah, Emily Strange meets Tim Burton. You know, meets Alice yeah. in Wonderland. But and I, I really don't like that. I feel quite distanced by that. You know, it's a mm. it's a very for me that's a very kind of juvenile, kind of gothy type aesthetic, you know, that you see yeah. girls in town, young girls with black hair and really bad eyeliner, you know, wearing <laughs> yeah, black and white pinstriped tops. Well, a subversion big... of classic fairy tales is nothing new, is it? I mean, it's... No, not at all. And it, it's, it's rich for, for metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for creative minds to go to go bonkers with. Anyway, mm. I was just, as we said, I was just put off by that. But when I started mm. playing it, you know, um, beneath that is a very serious, very mature almost kind of robust set of, of themes, you know, that are super dark. And I was like, I, this is the kind of thing that yeah. I actually really like because it's something you don't see very often, you know, and you are allowed to, you know, make your own... You, you're given more or less 90% of the direction of, of the themes, you know, to do with the predation, as you were saying, and the, and the kind of... the sense of, of fear and, and imminent malice. Um you, but you can, you know, you can still, you're still given a bit of wiggle room, you know. But yeah. you, you are presented with, with quite kind of solid themes, and I did really like that. And I like going through the forest. I actually thought when you're talking about the flowers there, um, I actually thought you picked up the flowers and then you are that guides you where to go. So I, I didn't, I don't know mm. if that's the case or not. But as I was picking up flowers, I guess it's inevitable just by traversing the forest. Yeah. Um, but I'd pick up a flower and then I would notice. After a couple, there would be something on my uh, UI on the, the HUD, sorry, yeah, and it would yeah. be like a skull or you know a piano or a, a gravestone mm. or whatever, yeah. and then I would follow that. So I thought picking up the flowers um, led you in a certain well, direction. The, the flowers themselves actually, um, what they do is open up um, secret rooms inside grandmother's house. Um, oh right, okay. So I, and I think that's is, is when the the, the final cutscenes plays once you've re gone into the grandmother's house. That's where all that stuff then appears. So I I think it's thirty three per girl when around that. I think there's uh, there's a magic yeah, number I think per right, girl yeah, that yeah. Um, amount of flowers you get then to see basically the entire scene play out at the very end. I'd lo- I'd love to know where you found all of this information, Tony. Because like like you, Paul, first time I went through the game, I, I well, first time I went through just to address Chopper's point, I had no hesitation well, that, to follow I mean, yeah, the instruction. I, I found that um, information via the web. I mean, that that stuff yeah, is yeah. not apparent within the game. But, um, second time I went through it, I spent about three hours with one girl just wandering around the fo- the forest. And the important thing to say is that once you've left the path. After you've been off the path, or it's either you've got a certain distance from, or you've been off the path for a certain period of time, the path effectively disappears mm-hmm. from the map f- for all practical purposes. And what happens is, occasionally, so the HUD is all kind of, um, it's it's like brushwork, it's calligraphy. They actually have a, a someone credited as doing the calligraphy in the game. And you have sort of like calligraphy swirls on the screen. And occasionally the map will sort of fade into view over the middle of the screen and it will actually show you that you've walked straight off one side of the map and back on the other. And that's the Mobius strip that Chopper referred to because what happens is the path disappears and you end up just circling around the same area of forest. Um, You can still find more and more stuff in there, more flowers, more items, but you can't get back to the path until you allow this girl in white who's running around who is always indicated where she is on the HUD. 
uh, around the outside of the screen there are particular icons that will appear to direct you to mm. uh, certain things um, whether it be a collectible that's near or whether it be this girl um, and she will lead you back to the the path so so is um, the girl in white then the the person you were talking back from the their game eight the girl in the original so game essentially yeah. sleeping beauty this this is the link yeah i assume she is the sleeping beauty character from that game and she then appears in this game so mm. that's the the link that means that somehow this is a series of of games um but but what I hadn't realised until you actually told me, so I, I spent three hours doing yes, this. Yes, because we had this, this conversation. It was it was because you yeah, said yeah. I haven't actually found. I haven't actually found a, a singular wolf. wolf yet, and no. I was and you said that you had played it for four hours, and I was like, <laughs> really? Yeah, like wow. But what I didn't realise was because I spent three hours just circling, wandering around the woods, and and there's lots to find, mm. and it's a beautiful game to look at, and uh, it, it swings between this wildly saturated colour. And then really desaturated uh, look to it occasionally as well, depending upon how close or far you're getting from something that's interesting or brings an emotion out in the in the girl that you're playing as. Um, and what I hadn't realised was, if you then go back in a third time, no matter which girl you're playing as, if you've failed twice, you go back in a third time, what will appear on the edge of the screen is a white wolf's paw print. And that actually leads you, for the girl you're playing, to the area where you will find the wolf, as it were, for that. So, girl. so there's there's a trick if you wish to to mainline the path, I guess, <laughs> to lack of a better term. But if you wish just just to see the outcome of where the, the where the the wolves are within the woods, if you yep. run into the house three times and essentially fail the game three times, the game gives you a, a lending hand and actually starts to to put stuff on that HUD to allow you to know both where the yeah. uh, where the things are within the game world, um, which is after you've wandered for it uh, and here, here's essentially my, my first problem with the path when I played it um, I I get wandering off the path and getting lost I mean that's that's an interesting emotion within itself from from a gamer's point of view though wandering in a wood for an hour not knowing where you're going is trying to find that one thing which you know will yeah. be the progression back to uh, grandmother's house you know for me I found after an hour I was more on the frustrated side rather than well I'm exploring this forest you know I I wanted mm. essentially that hook to to mm. lead me to somewhere else I mean that's when at that point I decided well okay well I I could wander now for another hour or I could mm. go to the web and you know essentially and that's where I found the knowledge that if you fail three yeah. times then there's your main line and I mean I'm glad I didn't know that from the off I think that I would have lost something just by straight away finding every every character's yeah. um demon within the woods but um yeah i think i needed that kind of wandering experience and then fear of loss and the game is it has fantastic music actually um there's a yeah. real tension um when you've been wandering off and they say the saturated saturated colors going into different parts of the woods sometimes yeah. it can be quite overwhelming what's what's mm. going on and certainly when you're frustrated that you you don't know how to get back to the path or you don't know where essentially you're yeah. you know you're yeah, going absolutely yeah I, th- I think i i agree uh, it's not very clear what you're supposed to do and and it's not very clear why you're being told you failed the game the first or second time that you do um but i think that's important because it's it's to make you feel that uneasy sort mm. of feeling of loss uh, being lost and there's actually a lot of misdirection goes on because you'll walk around the woods and every so often the the, the black 
swirls on the, on the screen, there will be wolf prints in there. And I thought, okay, if there's a small wolf print, it's in the distance. If there's a big wolf print, and sometimes the music reflects that as well, then the wolf must be closer to me. And I actually thought it was a, a wolf that was following me. And so whenever the wolf print would get bigger, I would stop mm-hmm. and I'd look around for it and see if I could find it. Um, but that's not the case at all. There's a reason for that because these wolves are metaphorical and there are very specific locations that you have to go to to uncover the story for each girl. But but it seems like there's a lot of misdirection going on there. And it, if I'm being perhaps g- too generous, what I would say is um, I think that's deliberate to make the player feel as lost as the girls should, yeah. should feel and anxious. Um, you, there is a run button in this, and when you if you hold it for too long, um, the screen starts to go dark and the music ramps up and you get that feeling of tension that you would get if you were running away because you were scared. And the camera pulls um, up significantly enough that the actual yeah, environment is obscured. And in front, the trees start blocking, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's really pretty, uh, pretty tense. So, Paul, what, what's um, your first experience wandering without knowledge? Um, I had no idea what was going on. I'd figured, see the paw prints you're talking about, I thought they were mm. just like a <clears throat> an aesthetic choice. Mm. I thought it was just like a Photoshop filter, you know. Yeah, All these images yeah. would just randomly come up. Sometimes mm. there was like slightly yellowish splashes on it, and I yeah. was thinking, oh well, the game's trying to tell me, you know, there's something there going this direction. And mm. there's a wee paw in the bottom left, so I'm like, okay, I've just walked past something. Um, but then I just figured, you know, I, I thought they were just kind of filters, like the, the, the black swirls mm. and stuff like that. Um, so with no kind of prior knowledge, and I still, this is all news to me, all, all this stuff, because I, I hadn't figured any of this out at all. I was just yeah. quite happy to zigzag, you know, my way through through the forest and um, just find stuff. Because part, mm. of the, part of the thing that I really like about games is, one, when they're enigmatic, you know, when I don't know what the hell's going on, yeah. which is which is an extension of feeling lost, and, as both of you said, just said, and I was like, yeah. I really love that feeling mm-hmm. of feeling mm-hmm. lost, you know, and when the path was gone, I, I really enjoyed that as well, so I'm like, oh, Christ, you know, this is all messed up and stuff, you know, um, and I felt like I was in, you know, the metaphorical woods, and so I was just wandering about, but the thing that kept me going, I, I did pretty much collect all the flowers, you know, as I, was, as I was kicking about the forest, but I was always really interested to see what what's happening next, you know, and that's something in games, especially like when it, the first time through, like Demon Souls and Dark Souls and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, what the, what the hell am I going to see next? You know, what's going to happen next? And the game always did that to me. It would give me things that mm. were quite interesting, like the sound. Something, and then it would start raining randomly in certain places, and you know, then I would hear like a, a really strong kind of wolf, like a, well, I, I presume there was a wolf now, but. It was like a really strong panting noise, and sometimes yeah. it was like yeah. noises of chains or something. So I'm like, "What the hell is this?" So all the while I'm being like stimulated orally and visually, but I'm also curious mm. to see what's going to ha- what am I going to happen upon next? You know, am I going to find a yeah. a, a random a piano on a on a kind of bandstand <laughs> type thing, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a, a, the the ever present uh, graveyard, you know, mm. and it's mm. skulls, and then the right. crows, and a syringe, and, <laughs> and all this random stuff, and I'm like, oh, but, you know, piecing it together in my mind, but I was always quite happy, and James, I was going to ask you, actually, you were saying mm. that the first three hours, uh, yeah, yeah, you were yeah. just kicking about, how, do you remember how you were, how you felt when you were in the forest like that, when you were playing the game, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely, I think, um, so, for the most part, I was just really intrigued by all the stuff I was finding. Um, and you you can find the same places that mean something to other uh, other girls 
that don't necessarily mean anything to you. So mm. you, I would walk around that graveyard area as, as Ginger, who's one of the younger girls, and and there's stuff to find there. There's open graves and and there's a, a sort of mound on the cemetery uh, with a cross, a, a tree on it, I think, rather than a cross. Um, and and there's stuff to find there. But um, when the rain starts, that means tends to mean you're in an area that means something to to that girl, I think. Um, but what I started to so I definitely felt fear when when the paw prints came up and you heard the panting behind you and and I'd start spinning around thinking what's behind me what's going on you know is is the threat actually getting closer um but then maybe after probably halfway through that 3 hour period I started trying to find the path again and it wasn't for a long time probably about 45 minutes of running around that I realized that I wasn't supposed to be able to find the path I started thinking, well, okay, I should turn around here and this will be my way back to the path. I retraced my steps through the different areas I'd been and tried to get there and couldn't. And then I thought, okay, right, I'll just go in one direction and keep going until I either reach the edge of the world or I reach the path. <laughs> Full off the end, and, yeah. And and you can't. And, and that's an incredibly tense feeling to not understand and not be able to find your way back. And it definitely captured that. Um, to mention about the, the music... Um, Tale of Tales have a, a sound designer um, called Chris Force, and they actually also uh, brought in for for this game um, a, a female vocalist called uh, Jarbo, um, who's sometimes known as Jane Jarbo. Her her name's actually Jarbo Lasalle Devereaux, um, and I was just looking up uh, her work today because she's on a, f- a few of these games that we're we're talking about, um, and uh, she's she's worked in some amazing collaborations. The one that stood out for me was uh, she'd worked on a, a track called Treka with a band called uh, Pusifer, who are a side project from Tool. That's um, right, it's Maynard from Tool, right? Yeah, yeah, James yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. So and and they've created in this game, I think. Uh, possibly most of all out of the games we're talking about today i think that the music is most important because it sets an incredible tone um and it, it really it really does overwhelm you at some at some points um when when certainly when you're already feeling lost and vulnerable um as as these girls would be in in these woods um it, it, the music really does lend to that and the sound design of the different noises and sort of discord really sort of discordant um instruments at some points to really make you feel uneasy it captures um the feeling of a, a horror film or a horror game uh, really well i think in places Yeah, so you've got six girls you can play as, and they range from ages 9 to 19. And mm-hmm. the idea is that they're all sisters. Um, and each of the girls, both in the way they're dressed, the way they look, the way they behave, um, the this text comes up when they find certain items uh, that gives you a bit about their sort of reaction to the item or their thoughts. Um, and you really start to get a feeling when you're playing as each of these girls what their character is. Um and the wolves are very much metaphorical in all but one instance, I think. Um, 
be, because uh, the, the wolves are, much as in Little Red Riding Hood, these are the, the moments or the instants in their life that that force them to grow up or somehow define their life. Mm-hmm. The the things they lead to at the end in the grandmother's house are, are, are sometimes I mean that I I had That's trouble making most comprehending. Disturbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the youngest of the girls is is a really stereotypical little Red Riding Hood. She's wearing a red raincoat with a hood up. Um, her name's Robin, um, and hers is actually the literal wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a very sort of carefree attitude, almost reckless, I think, is supposed to be her story is about recklessness, um, in that uh, she finds a, a wolf prowling around a cemetery that has open graves, and it looks almost like a werewolf. Um, and, and her cutscene actually shows her hanging onto the back of this wolf and riding it around as it's trying to shake her off. Um, and the the way I read that was that um, she was an incredibly reckless girl because she didn't understand the dangers. Um, and so she, when she saw something like a wolf that we would immediately think of as no, that's dangerous. We need to we need to back away. She actually em- embraced that, and that leads to um, her. The end of her story actually is is her being um, there's claw marks all inside the house showing that. You know the the safe area has been um, desecrated breached. by yeah. this this wolf. Yeah, breached, uh, and actually there are bells tolling as she is placed or falls into a grave, um, which is a, a pretty depressing. Um, there's almost like a birthday party at the end. Like there's a cake there. Um, like you know, clearly she was probably off to her <laughs> her off own to birthday. Her grandmother's but, for and, her birthday party. And what I found party, the most yeah. disturbing about her own kind, and this is the, which is weird actually that what they call as a success as a you know you've you've achieved your goal. Mm. Like it's actually the opposite. So that I mean that that's their ultimate demise. Um, yeah. The success state for for Robin herself. Is um, you you see her red riding her jacket pinned up almost like her skin pinned to a wall, yeah. um, you know. So you can imagine you know the symbolism of what that could have been. And uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's actually one of the ones that almost affected me the most just through that Definitely. end scene, yeah. not the actual meeting of the the wolf itself within the forest. Although I played, I, I don't know if there is really any order which they suggest you play it in, but I didn't get no. round to Robin. Um, I think she was about the fourth one I played. So I was actually quite surprised when I come across a literal wolf where all the others have been something a bit more symbolic. Um, so that's Robin, the youngest. Uh, the next oldest is Rose, who is 11 and seems to be curious in nature, I would say. When she's picking items up, she um, she she's always got a lot to, to say about them and, and she... Um, her her wolf is a is a lake with a boat on it, and there's a lot of mist. Um, and her response to that is to say, "Hello, clouds, welcome to Earth," which is, <laughs> I, I think, it's demonstrative of her kind of whimsical, curious nature about these sort of things. Um, she also finds a balloon. I think you'd pretty much have to trip up over that on the way to the mm-hmm. the lake, and she immediately runs over, grabs it, and and. Um, exclaims that the balloon would have been would have floated up into the clouds if it hadn't been for the string holding it down which is is quite significant when it comes to her um her wolf because she gets into the boat starts going out into the misty lake and eventually there is a man in, in somehow in the clouds who lifts her up into the sky ah so you should have passed this one to Paul I think 
Uh, did you see this one, Paul, at all? Uh, no. Have you I've, come across I've, this? No. I'm, just, I'm actually just before the, that bit, so... What, right. what is... I mean, I, I'm not... I mean, I, I, at this point, assume that she drowned in a lake, but um, there, uh, there's uh, the real um, sense of um, audio in this where hmm. it's completely overwhelming. There, There's a real high... I don't know how to describe it. It's like a real high volume of tone. Um, mm-hmm. like foreboding what's actually happening um, and the person that takes her is is almost like a you know, a, a ghosty presence yeah. and it's just through sound alone it's it's probably it's the one that kind of got under my skin just through its, its audio yeah. design um, it's a really weird one and I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw out something that's a bit of a curveball and a bit strange but um, I think hers is is clearly the most metaphorical of the wolves because it's not a real threat that she faces aside from, you know, getting in a boat and going out onto a misty lake perhaps isn't the brightest of things to do. But um, in in none of the others are there, you know, ghostly or or godly figures involved. Um, In this case, I don't know if you noticed, but inside the house, it's not there's not a lot of boat or lake imagery what there is is it's raining inside the house which is i think the only one that that's the case for mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of bathroom imagery the first room you're in there's a sort of bathroom ceiling fan uh, and as you go through there's um there's an, an actual bath um and again the the mist i wondered if that was something from a shower and this one i almost feel really uncomfortable saying it I think her wolf is supposed to be her... Well, I don't think it takes much imagination to imagine what a a young girl just entering sort of her teenage years, a young girl or boy, frankly, just entering their teenage years might do in a bathroom in terms of uh, transcendent imagery that may be involved in lifting up to the... (laughs) (laughs) I'm not spelling it out... Um, it, it's a really uncomfortable one, and it could just be maybe it is just um, that she fell into the lake. But all the bathroom imagery in the house sort of doesn't support that at all. Um, and so I wondered if it's about uh, actually the next girl we're coming on to is something similar. I think in terms of what the wolf actually is, but it's about growing up and loss of innocence. In this case, I don't actually think there's anything to suggest that she lost life when you get to her bedroom at the end or grandmother's bedroom at the end all of the furniture is sort of swirling around in the middle of the room and it could be that that's to do with being uh in water and and drowning or or that sort of thing but i don't think necessarily uh, for people who haven't played the game i think the, the game has is almost two-tone in its engine because you have the initial event um mm. before you then re-enter grandma's house and they always feel they they are clearly linked but at times they feel quite separate from each other so you you could almost draw one ending from the the initial event that happens within the woods and then um you know formulate a completely different opinion from what happens within the house like i say then if you play the what essentially is the ending where she she doesn't die um or whatever case is is it's seen as the bad ending but the good ending like I, I believe in that one there is there is definitely actually symbolism towards a lot more bathrooms again but this time you walk, you walk straight past them um, right. and then eventually you end up in obviously cuddled up against next to your grandmother well, mm. I can never never quite made worked out whether she was lying so still because she was either dead or just very asleep 
Uh, I think she's supposed to be asleep because <laughs> the, the failure states that I saw um, right at the end, grandmother seems to open her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that's the moment at which you've sort of cuddled up next to her and she wakes up. Um, and, and that's, you know, you having made it to her and you're delivering, because you're supposed to be delivering medicine to her, um, is is the is kind of what's going on. The, the, when you pick a character, there's a sort of labelled bottle goes into the basket and I think that's supposed to be medicine you're taking to her. So oh, you're going to tend to her. I mentioned and, the, the syringe earlier as well. That was part of the medicine. That's mm, what, that, yeah. that was, I think the last one I played was Rose actually and she picks up the medicine and says it's the syringe sorry and says someone needs her, her medicine and to deliver it or something like that. Um, the third girl is actually really nice and straightforward. Uh, Ginger is a bit of a tomboy and you go to a sort of field and it talks about running around amongst the crops and instead of the girl in white it's clearly the same character model but she is in red and you start playing with her in the cornfield Mm -hmm. and you're running around and playing uh, sort of hide and seek and guess who and tag and that sort of thing Um, kiss chase and then you you just uh, you start chasing the girl in red and then you end up just lying down in the cornfield and in the house you go through a bedroom and under the bed and you're looking at lots of kids toys um, and it ends up with you in grandmother's bedroom and there's lots of barbed wire and metallic sort of screeching sounds I, I think, like the last one, this is a girl who is 13 years old. Uh, she's leaving behind her toys. She's becoming a, a more adult woman. And I think the symbolism of the, the red dress is, is the giveaway. Um, I think this is about that moment at which uh, a teenage girl would know she's growing up because she's starting menstruation. But again... I'm sounding like a real weirdo, and I'm not entirely comfortable with that. But no, I think no, that's I think what this I one's think about. You're totally spot on with that one. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty much right there. But, but yeah, because in the in the field, there's nothing to suggest that she's in any danger. And yeah, okay, it could be that the barbed wire signifies she got into trouble in in the fields. But I I'm not entirely sure there's anything there in that. And um, yeah, I. I I thought that was quite a, a straightforward one, but definitely again a metaphorical wolf, mm-hmm. um, and and a significant part of of any teenager's uh, life is going through uh, puberty and that kind of thing. And I think that would be sort of a defining moment, and it would be a wolf of sorts for for a um, a young child or or a child becoming an adult to to go through. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I thought that was, and and. Um, I I think probably wisely up to this point when we're talking about 9, 11 and 13 year olds um, Tale of Tales seem to have stopped shy of any uh, sort of of too much kind of um, sexual predation that we've talked about being a, a theme for some of the girls because that really would be uh, I think beyond uncomfortable not that seeing these things often you know, when you get to the grandmother's house, there's lots of sort of quick cut imagery that's difficult to make out. You're not quite sure what's going on, not quite sure what it means. Um, and it's definitely not comfortable to see, but I think that would be somehow even more uh, uncomfortable. Um, which leaves us with uh, the last three girls, and it d- definitely does get uncomfortable from this point onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Ruby uh, is a 15-year-old, and the first thing you notice about her is that she's got uh, a leg brace on her left leg, I think. Um, and, and her leg is, is clearly weakened and needs a leg brace on. 
Um, she she has a slightly different. We should I should also say actually, all the girls have slightly different walking animations and slightly different running animations, mm-hmm. which I think's again it feeds into their character and the notion of of who they are and that sort of thing. Um, this one I found really uncomfortable because you've got a 15 year old girl who walks into a playground and sees a two headed teddy bear lying on the ground and a um, a slightly older boy dragging what looks like a rolled up carpet through the woods and and then you've got um she, she her her uh, text that she sees the teddy bear says i doubt old age will happen to me so i guess the the leg brace is supposed to suggest that um this girl has some kind of chronic condition perhaps degenerative bone or muscle disease uh, or or condition um and she is clearly clearly uh quite weak and um perhaps has a, a reduced life expectancy because of that and i think that leads into what i think her story is about which is that she knows that that she is going to die young and she is trying to um experience life uh almost to the point of being demonstrating self-destructive behavior in order to 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 get what she can out of life while she's still around what do you reckon, Tony? <laughs> no, I mean, it's fascinating to hear you you say all that. I mean, because ultimately she she meets a man on the bench, doesn't she? In this one, yes, and um, he offers her a cigarette, and he's very much a a kind of a, looks looks like an axe like, and his his animation's quite good actually. He he's a stereotypical sort of rebel bad boy type character. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's fascinating to hear you lay us. I mean, I, maybe I wasn't reading quite as as deep in, mm. in the kind of the subtext of, of her backstory, but I mean, I, I mean, I just saw it more as a the clear face of like he's a he's a sexual predator. She's a young mm. girl, and he's taking you know he, he's using his. Cause there's quite a bit of charm with with goes with the lighting of a cigarette and yeah you yeah. know just you know come and sit next to me on the bench and and it all seems I mean it it doesn't go to the thing where she he suddenly grabs her. But it's all left very suggestive that you know you've seen this scene play out in in many films and in many pieces yeah. of literature. Like you you can see what happens from this point, and I mm-hmm. and I you know it's fascinating to hear you dig deeper into who she is and how that plays into you know possibly mm-hmm. what she's looking for from this. Maybe even knowing what she's walking into, where I I saw it much more as a plain this man taking advantage of her. But it, you know you're right, it could be. Oh, I, I think we'll, we'll get on to uh, on to that with um, the next character. But I think in this case, I, I don't think she. I, I don't think she's uh, self-destructive to that extent. I think uh, very much this is a case of um, Ruby being at the mercy of this um, pretty nasty piece of work. Frankly, and, and I, this, I, I tell you what, this is one that actually affected me probably mm. the most purely because um as you're walking through and i think it may have been the, about the second one i did so just walking through the wood and and coming across a man sits on the bench and he gives you yeah. that look like you know your, your instinct really i mean if, if you if this wasn't a game would be to to turn the other way and yeah. you know, leave the area but you know yeah. it being a game of, of, of sorts you approach the situation and that kind of goes against the instincts of it's it's has played out in a, in a way that you you actually go there not wanting to it's it quite, it's quite a strange feeling to to receive from a game i think what i mean when i say that she's got a certain a slightly self-destructive um side to her is that 
you know, she's looking at that two-headed um, teddy bear, and it's it's not just that the teddy bear is disfigured; it's that it stands out from other teddy bears, and I think that's how she feels about herself. And so, when she sits down on the bench next to him, um, because he invited her to do so, she kind of feels like it's that she wants him to like her. She wants to to feel like she's liked and feel like she's cool and feel like she's one of a, a popular crowd. And again, when he offers her the cigarette, you see that she doesn't want to take it, but she does. Mm-hmm. Um, because she wants to impress him and that's what i mean about the self-destructive side she wants to impress those around her and she wants to fit in um but not knowing what she's getting into exactly even if it means that actually she's she's going along with not to not, not necessarily knowingly but she's going along with this this guy and um uh, in when you get into uh, Grandma's house, um, it almost looks like you're moving through the inside of a factory. There's lots of like valves on the wall and, and pistons and stuff like that, um, and there's motorbike sounds. And I don't know if that's supposed to be that he um, perhaps took her somewhere, or uh, certainly it seems to suggest that the motorbike goes with his sort of aesthetic and mm-hmm. that he's a sort of rebel in that sense, um, and would maybe be the sort of sort of slightly older teenager who would have a motorbike. And um, and that he took her somewhere, but yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable because you've got this girl who is clearly vulnerable and clearly quite unsure of herself, um, who's just being taken advantage of by um, by this older older kid. Um, yeah. So the the next older uh, character is Carmen, who's seventeen and seems to be in kind of she's in a almost like a, a almost lycra outfit. She looks almost like a dancer's outfit or something like that. Um, and she has a very self-aware sort of character to her. You see her uh, in the room at the beginning where you select the character. She's trying on a hat and almost looking at herself in the mirror. She seems to be aware of her looks. Um, and her, her wolf is a really strange one. Um, she comes to a campsite uh, where the girl in white is in a small red tent off to the side and she's just backing into the tent and then coming back out again. You can't really interact with her in any way. But there's also a lumberjack uh, walking around this campsite. And if you walk over to him, he pretty much ignores you entirely. And it took me about 10 minutes of... I feel really awful saying this, trying to get his attention before anything actually progressed in her story. And it's really bizarre feeling to be with this girl, almost like you said the last time around, Tony, where you walk into a situation knowing that you are going to find this girl's metaphorical wolf and you are actually the one initiating whatever is going to happen next, knowing what the potential consequences of that are. Um, The first thing that I did was I walked up to this lumberjack and uh, Carmen takes off his baseball cap from behind him and puts it on. Um, mm-hmm. And you see that this lumberjack's a, an older man. He's he's bald. He's um, he's got a hand axe and he's he's chopping at some of the trees that have red X's on them that are clearly marked to be removed. Um, and he just continues walking around this campsite, ignoring you, chopping at these trees. If you walk up to him, he'll stop chopping, chopping, and then wait for a, a five seconds or so, and then you'll start again. And um, Carmen, all the while, has quite a um, a flirtatious. Uh, way you know she'll stand next to him put her hands on her hips or or um she'll she'll try and get his attention um and and you quickly realize that you you need to to sort of explore the rest of the campsite um there's a campfire that you can light uh, there's a crate of beer and you can walk up there and and take beer out of the the crate um 
and and all the while you're kind of waiting to see what the interaction between the lumberjack and her is going to be and for uh an older man with a axe in his hand he, he is about as unthreatening as it's possible to be i would say well I don't think an axe is never unthreatening, but yeah. But but he's he's there chopping wood, and and Carmen approaches him, and he's not soliciting her attention in any way. It's it's really strange. Yeah, I, I, think. I think what is interesting about this one is that you know she's she essentially is the instigator to it because she's yeah. you know where it's all been before. I mean, I would, we've talked about there's many <laughs> outcomes, but I I I feel like you know. The way she's flirtatious with him, taking his hat, offering him beer, and you know, setting the campfire, mm. um, you know, it's it's almost like it's the role reversals that his temptations to, although you know, she's you know, to him like she clearly is, for lack of a better word, jail bait. Like you know, she, yeah, he he shouldn't he shouldn't, and he he tries to not, and you have to work very hard to to persuade him essentially to to do yeah. the deed and. I mean that's that was, that was weird playing that character of you know Definitely, trying to force yeah. somebody that clearly realised you know from all his morals like this this is actually wrong I I shouldn't um, and to eventually where she she breaks his will and so yeah you go to to grandmother's house and um, it's it's pretty much all audio cues walking through the house it it didn't strike me that there was much significant about what was there visually until you get to the very end. Um, I think you walk through one bit and there's kind of a, a tree stump and some chairs and um, maybe water around that. Um, and as you walk through, the perspective of the room changes. So you're now where what was the floor is is the wall mm-hmm. in front of you. Um, so it, it's it's clearly playing with the fact that um, Carmen, I think that, that Carmen has has got drunk drinking the the beer, and that she's not able to tell what's going on around her. She's not able to tell, you know, what's happening. Um, and the audio cues are all incredibly uh, suggestive noises. That that what is happening between these two people is that they are they are having sex, um, and it's. Yeah, really uncomfortable. And the final image is a, a bed with a tree growing up through it, yeah. which is pretty darn specific in terms the middle, of yeah, so. yeah, a rather <laughs> large tree trunk bursting through the centre of a bed yeah. doesn't necessarily leave much for the imagination. But yeah, it's um, it's a really uncomfortable one to play through. Uh, and equally uncomfortable and possibly the most bizarre, I think, in terms of what the interpretation might be, is, um, is Scarlet. Um She's 19, and a lot of the text um, that that she reads uh, or that reads uh, as she's picking items up suggests that she is incredibly tidy, she's ordered. There's a lot of stuff about turning chaos into order, and it seems to be suggesting that the wolf is going to help her do that. Uh, A lot of the text that comes up seems to be saying, you know, you want to bring order from chaos and I will help you in some way. the the imagery is quite strange. Um, mm. Her wolf is is it's the piano on the stage. Uh, is her her wolf? There's also uh, a library. There's a bookcase, um, and there's a lot of peacock imagery in that as well, um, which is is quite surreal and quite interesting. So she finds a um, a piano on a stage and there is a wolf type mask on the stage that, that flashes up in front of you and then you can go and pick up 
and as you approach the stage a uh, uh, it's a woman but quite quite an odd looking woman she's almost uh, asexual in some way uh, steps up from the piano and walks away as as you walk up to it and can play piano and then as you play the piano she walks back over and stands next to you as if she is a a teacher a music teacher or a piano teacher and the curtain of the stage then descends uh sort of between the camera point of view and and where um scarlet and this woman are are at the piano and and playing yeah very bizarre yeah this this i I mean i'm not ashamed to admit this one went over my head i (laughs) I had trouble grasping yeah i i definitely did too um because when you get to the house there are as if there was decorating going on in the house there are drapes over all of the um all of the items so white sheets placed over everything um which which obviously could indicate that whoever was in the house had had died um and that may be what it is because we're never told that there is a mother to these six girls who are who are all sisters um, and Scarlet, as the oldest, is the one with the responsibility on her, which is maybe why she is a, a tidy uh, person who, who likes order and likes things to be done correctly, etc. Um, and and perhaps the, the sheets over are supposed to show that Grandmother died because Scarlet didn't go to to Grandmother with the medicine and, and didn't take her responsibility seriously because she has so much responsibility already on her shoulders that she wanted to go and do something that she wanted to do in playing the piano. Um, but then towards the uh, the end, um, the the scenes that flash up as she gets to the final room are uh, that same woman who's the piano teacher uh, with claws, frankly, is the only way I can describe them. Um, it's quite violent and uh, very sort of visceral imagery. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what it means. On the one hand, I want to say that it's... Um, it's about Scarlet choosing responsibility for the rest of her life and having quite a joyless life. And it's not that her life was necessarily threatened. It's just that she gave away the joy from her life by, by taking the burden of, of always, you know, taking the responsibility and looking mm-hmm. after her sisters and that sort of thing. Um, but I can't get over the fact that the quite disturbing uh, images of, of the, the piano teacher with clawed hands, um, which is really odd. I'm not entirely sure what to make of of Scarlet's story. It's often the way that we say that you know there is no necessarily the right way to approach these as you know which character to attempt to play first. Mm. But I feel like that's an interesting endpoint, and maybe if you you played through this game as a you know through the age differences, um, yeah, you'd yeah. probably maybe get a slightly more of a meaning through each one just to see mm. you know you could see it through the the growing growing aspects. So. I think that one fits neatly yeah. at the end, but uh, it, it was pretty yeah. abstract, it has to be said. Yeah, definitely bizarre, yeah. Um, and, and they all are. I mean, uh, we've talked about what, what we think they mean, but in all honesty, it's all open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. It could just be that each of the people that that these girls meet um, are, are, you know, someone who is dangerous and, and kills them, right down to, you know, Ginger in the field. That could be a very real girl in a red dress who accidentally or otherwise killed her and um the the man in the in the mist may be a a real person that um that uh that rose met when she went out in the boat and Mm -hmm. and and uh and killed her but uh, i think there's a lot more metaphor going on in here and and that means that it's really open to interpretation which let's face it is kind of i i'm sure what tale of tales were going for when they when they made the game 
Uh, on top of that as well, you can once you've completed all all the storylines of each each girl, you yeah. can actually play the white dressed girl. The girl in white. Um, yeah. She doesn't have a story per se, but you can enter the grandmother's house, um, and she she does have free reign across the entirety of the forest. Um, you can access all the girls' yeah. areas, um, I believe, without slowing down and, and bits. So. Yeah, they're all they're all marked on the HUD in the sort of white mm. uh, icons around the edges when you start as her. Um, but it kind of does encourage you to go straight through the grandmother's house, and um, what you'll go through is the the final rooms of each of the girls that you played in the order that you played mm-hmm. them as the girl in white. So for me, it was Scarlet, then then Gingers, then Ruby, then Robin, so on. Um, but they play in that order, which is really the only difference that the order makes in terms of who you chose to play. Um, and and then at the end, um, she walks out bloodstained into the original room where you do the character um, selection, character selection, mm. and all the girls come out through the door that's been in the background the whole time, and then she turns around and goes back away. So I, I don't know. She she perhaps represents. I mean, she's been a sort of guardian angel to these girls uh, in the forest, and maybe she is somehow able to bring them back to life, she, or mm. you know, if, if they died, or or. Um, or bring them through whatever. Yeah, uh, you can essentially. It's almost like a new game plus without the plus section, and you can replay the game. Yeah, it's, it's replaying the, the game characters. Yeah, from the start. Yeah. yeah. So that's the path. Make of that what you will. <laughs> we certainly made plenty of it. Yeah. How good to see the moon. She is like a little piece of money, a little silver flower. She is gold.
I have told you not to look at her. Okay, we're moving on to the third game. Uh, that's Fatal, Exploring Salome. Uh, it was also released in 2009, and it's based on a play, Salome, by Oscar Wilde. Um, the music that you will hopefully have uh, just heard is from Fatal, and it's an audio trailer that uses a lot of the the lines that are in the in the game. All of the the vocals in the game are taken from the play, and they are read by... Uh, we've previously mentioned Jarbo. She she reads those vocals. They are lines from the play that are um, they're words of encouragement and words of caution from Herodias, who is the mother of Salome, to her daughter. Um, that that should hopefully give you a flavour of what the play sounds like. Um, certainly, we'll talk about the play uh, as and when we come to it. But it's certainly worth it. It's um, it's public domain, so you can you can just search on Google for the play. Uh, it's worth reading, I think, if you are at all interested in playing this game. I'd, I'd like to set my stall out straight away, and I know that um, both Paul and James have a lot to say about this game. Strangely, as I said, way back in the graveyard, I I think you can you can look at these games and, and take what you want from them. Uh, clearly, with the graveyard, I took a lot, and and as well as the path. But I I ha- I honestly struggled through Fatal. Um, and I think some of that had to do with the... I didn't have the, the background knowledge of the play mm. itself. So I was going more of a whim and then had to kind of do a little bit of a research mid because I was like, what, what is happening? <laughs> um, so at times I, I found, found myself to be quite lost in this game and, and not picking up on a lot of the its finer details. Um, it's the, I found it to be the most abstract of all the games. So also yeah. then for that, for being that, the most impenetrable. So... I mean, I, I played through the game. I got to the end, um, but I'm fascinated to hear you guys actually discuss it in, in a greater detail. Because to me, it, it was a, a selections of scenes that happened, um, which <laughs> isn't isn't <laughs> great for an audio description. So, so go ahead, yeah, and sure. uh, maybe you might hear me chime and go, ah, <laughs> which is like as um, I said from the very start, like that that is the danger of of being something that is quite abstract i think you know you you have to yeah you have to sometimes yeah. know the the context of what you're walking into yeah absolutely so uh, i think what uh, if if paul would be so kind he's going to talk us through a little bit of the premise of what fatal uh is in terms of its narrative yeah sure um well, it, as you said it tells the, the story of uh, salome um it was originally a play by oscar wilde uh, written in french it tells the story of um, essentially, the Salome's desire to attain the head of John the Baptist, to have him beheaded, um, she does this by dancing. Was it the, the the dance of the seven veils? Seven veils, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She dances that for uh, the Tetrarch Herod. Um, I, th- I think it was meant to to turn him on, essentially, to to make him yeah. think uh, a step, her stepfather. Uh, to give him incestuous thoughts, uh, to then you know, give him the okay to kill to kill essentially John the Baptist, and in the game you actually that is what's one of the things you come across. But um, it was interesting because the game starts off, doesn't it, in a in a kind of uh, is it the, is it the cistern? It's a cistern, it's called yeah, but it's essentially it's a jail cell at the bottom, but it's a cistern underneath the uh, banqueting hall, yeah. 
yeah, the, the game starts off, you are John the Baptist, you are in a, a cistern. You don't know you're John the Baptist at the time, and, and in all honesty, you could play through the game and never know that that's who, who it was. Um, but that's that's what the play's about. Um, you start off in the cistern, um, you're walking around. Up above, there's um, a great uh, sort of a manhole cover that you can see through, and you can see Salome is, is up there and she is dancing. Um and and what you get is so on the walls are some uh, passages of text from the play, and periodically as there's a there's a constant time bar going along the bottom, and as you get through a certain passage of of time, um, a a, a veil essentially a, a piece of sort of chiffon cloth uh, appears, um, and um, and a, with it appears another piece of text right in front of you on the screen, and what what that text is recounting is Salome trying to seduce John the Baptist and him rebuffing her advances in some pretty um, pretty pointed language referring to her as incestuous and calling her a daughter of Sodom and, and that sort of thing. So it's very much from the point of view of John the Baptist being um, very much a believer in, in Christian values and and she is, is trying to, she she covets him uh, and due to his uh, sort of rebuffing her, um, she then requests that King Herod or Tetrarch Herod, um, her father, uh, removes his head and gives it to her so that if, if she can't have him alive, she will have him dead, essentially. Um, which I, I can't even think of any game that remotely attempts to, <laughs> to, to portray anything close to that kind of story. Um I think the the most pointed uh, thing that you you notice immediately about this game is the control scheme. Uh, it's it's very odd. Um, it does have in the instructions it explains how to control, um, but essentially what you have is um, you you can use the the mouse. So if you right click on the mouse, you walk forward. If you sorry, if you left click, you walk forward. If you right click, you move backwards. Um, and then you can you can kind of it's almost tank controls using the mouse to to move, um, and it actually has a mouse look option, but it it says next to it not recommended because part of the point of this game in its three sections is to have three very different control schemes that are all almost familiar but not quite they're they're quite awkward to use. Um, how did you guys get on with the controls? Did you intuitively pick them up, or were they pretty hard to grasp? Would you say they're absolutely awful, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no denying that. I, I no. fought through them just desperately. You know, I was like hoping that it would just be easier to explore the world and use a camera, but mm. it, it probably took me about half an hour to even do something that I wanted to do <laughs> and even that was probably an accident it, it, the controls are just abysmal and it, it wouldn't take much to fix them so you've got to think you know was that intentional oh yeah definitely that's why they have three different control schemes for, for each of the three sections of the game yeah it's um, it's part of the intention it's also why they implemented mouse look and said not recommended um, I, th- I think at least um, I, I don't know that I've read any hard confirmation of this but it's very much it's three kind of versions of standard sort of mouse look and and you know WASD controls for for moving around but they've taken the the mouse look and and really done some strange things with it in terms but, of but why your ability to move 
I mean, I, I I would, mean, this, this is a question yeah. that I've asked of, of many times I've come across this same situation and it's, it's the same priority thing I have with Heavy Rain it's like okay so you've you've delivered a, an interesting unusual control scheme but why like it, it if anything <laughs> it gets it gets in the way of just wanting to yeah. move a character and I mean that's ultimately frustrating when the, yeah. the, the basics of just trying to move you know your avatar around the screen is is a barrier I mean unless I mean, I wouldn't put this past Tales Tales at all to to create something which is, uh, you know, a it's subverting the player in, in a mm. way to, you know, the controls to be awkward. Like, um, you know, when you're in a jail cell, like you know, things aren't aren't easy. Maybe that, that's the route. But it, it you yeah, know, it to me, it, it was more of a as I didn't know the the full story. Like I had that, and I had yeah. the controls beaten against me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, what yeah. what what is going on here? No, there's no denying they're incredibly cumbersome controls. I mean, in terms of having different controls for each section, I think, I think perhaps certainly what I thought the reason for that might be is uh, in the first section you're playing John the Baptist while he's still alive, um, so that's the controls to move a living person around in that world. Uh, in the second section, I actually uh, read on Tale of Tales forums a suggestion that you're playing the disembodied head of John the Baptist. Now, that kind of doesn't make sense because his disembodied head is sat up on the balcony uh, next to Salome. But I wondered if you were supposed to be playing his spirit, his soul, something like that, moving around the environment. There's definitely that feeling of being a a sort of um, an incorporeal uh, kind of form. You know, you're, you're something you're either the wind or a spirit or something like that because you're manipulating flames largely is what you're doing mm. and that kind of makes sense um and and, and when so you, when you zoom in remember when you when you zoom in on something yeah. specifically you get those well, it's quite hard to describe actually but the the <laughs> the lines <laughs> the, the kind of golden <laughs> celestial looking lines that are actually they're very common in, in kind of the painting of antiquity uh, mm. when a saint would be rendered with those around his right. head ah, you know okay. to, to I, make him stand out among yeah, the, yeah. anyone else the, the saints the, both of the angels would obviously have the mm. ring and the the halo sorry okay, and so that makes, that the makes saints sense. would have that it's a very I like that style it reminds me of the kind of mm. the gothic painting almost um, where you would have those lines you know it's very yeah. and the whole thing has a kind of a kind of painting a painting kind of aesthetic to it but that's that's what made me kind of give lend that some credence because that is what you see, you know, as a kind yeah, of yeah, halo yeah. around them. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So the second part of the game, um, you start off uh, in what is a, a terraced banqueting hall, um, and there is a guard stood in front of what you realise is the other side of the cistern door. Uh, at the end of the cistern section, when the timer runs out, the door opens and a guard comes in and, and uh, attacks you with a um, a curved sword. Mm-hmm. Um and so the second part, the controls change because it, it's all uh, mouse point now. Um, you have an arrow on the screen and uh, whichever direction the arrow is pointed in, as you sort of pan it around the screen, it moves from pointing left to pointing forward to pointing right. Um, when you click, you move in that direction. So you'll either turn round to the right or left or you'll move forward. Um, and it gives a very floaty uh, feel to moving around this environment because you can obviously click upwards and and you'll you'll float higher up um or you can click forwards and you'll move forwards um and the bit you were referring to Paul um around the environment um there are candles i think there are three at any one time that are lit and have uh, an aura around them 
that when you hover over that you get a red reticule on your on your arrow on the screen uh, and when you click you go into a zoomed in state and the idea is you hover over um the light that is now close up in in your vision uh, and and you encourage darkness to come around it and extinguish the flame and when you do that uh what happens is that all these golden uh lines like spokes come in from the edge of the screen and form a circle around um the the light that you're extinguishing um and on those are little uh little blank sections where inscriptions start to form and they tend to be single letter or a uh, letter and a number um and yeah you're absolutely right now you say it they have a very celestial um feel to them and as you say it's probably it, that's the the soul or spirit of john the baptist being uh prepared for sainthood or or recognizing his his ascendancy mm-hmm. to sainthood um so yeah there are i think i think i'm right in saying there's somewhere around 12 to 16 of those uh lights and as you extinguish one another one lights up around the area and you're going around extinguishing all of these um, I think the interesting thing about this area is it, it's a still. So there's a guard at one side. Uh, Herodias is stood uh, with her back to a, a door up the top of the area, and she's facing, looking out onto Salome, who is surveying the whole area with uh, the beheaded uh, head of John the Baptist on a silver platter, as if it's been served to her by by Herod uh, himself. Uh, and you move around the area extinguishing the lights, but it's not long before you realise that there's some items in this scene that really do not fit at all. Um, I, I don't know how many did you guys find because there's there's more than I thought there was. I think um, I, I can I can only remember because it was probably about a, a year ago. I, played, yeah, I should yeah, have played yeah. it obviously before this show, but I do remember it quite vividly. Mm. Uh, the best, the best one that made me laugh so much. And when you when you see the other ones, I'll, I'll remember. But uh, yeah, yeah. as the, the the iPod Nano stuck to the iPod Nano, yeah, Salome's <laughs> hip, and you know the, yeah. the the white headphones creeping up her body. Yeah, um, that yeah. just completely threw me for a loop. When I saw, it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I took about twenty mm. screenshots. <laughs> like, what? What the hell? Because everything yeah. is, in, in tone is is so serious. You know, it's so mm. dark, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's a, there's a certain there's a there's a timeless quality to the, to that whole mm. atmosphere, and it can't really be described. You know, verbally, you really do have to see it. It does feel like a play. Yeah. You know, it does feel like a stage, yeah, almost yeah, very, very colourful. And there's a couple of matchbooks around the place. The one that's down next to the door to the cistern, rather cruelly, has uh, inside it. It's a sort of matchbook that you would get from, say, a bar or somewhere like that. You know, the sort of stereotypical fold-out paper matchbook with the sort of tear-off card matches. Uh, and inside it's got Salome and then her phone number and then Call Me written underneath yeah. it, which you can just imagine she's left there for, for, so, for um, what John the Baptist. But what is, I mean, is, is this to, to kind of signify like this could be a modern day title? It's, it's, it's really bizarre, isn't it? Is it saying it's a, it's a modern day version of the play? Well, I mean, the, 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 the end or? as well, um, to, to get there, is that there's, there's the sounds of cars and horns going oh, off, yeah. Um, yeah. almost like you know they've crossed to a different plane, a, a different realm of where they are. But or, I, or the play has ended and that's everyone going home. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really strange, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, to me, it, it just kind of signified like this, this is a, a, 
a story as old as time and uh, well not quite but you know <laughs> a story that is is very old but you know equally it's its meanings could play into today's societies to a degree um yeah yeah i think you're yeah you're absolutely absolutely right in that it's the timelessness of the story yeah you're right so i mean talking pre-recording i mean you, you said this is probably your favorite of the tales the tales again why this one in particular because i mean we've obviously spent a long time talking about um the path and its meanings you know and there's there's quite a bit to like about the graveyard but what is it about the tale that that really got under your skin i I think it's that i was constantly while i was playing it trying to work out what the story was because i wasn't familiar with the play although i knew it was based on a, a play i wasn't familiar with it i was trying to work out what was going on um trying to understand the passages it's almost like um the sort of passages on the wall of the first section in the cistern reminded me very much of dear esther when you're walking around and there's just writing written across say a rock face and trying to work out where that came from what it meant piecing it together just really sort of in a way that with the with the path because it was all structured around here's the collectibles go and wander through the forest and find these areas I never really felt like I was trying to work out what it was all about in the same way, although I I was in terms of each girl's story. I knew that this was all in a large sense about loss of innocence and being lost in a forest. And that was all quite apparent to me. Whereas in Fatale, I really wasn't sure what it was trying to say. Um, There's actually a third section, um, which I have problems because every time I try and reload the game after after I've completed the first two sections, um, so what happens once you've extinguished all the lights is the final source of light you realise is the moon. So you pan up to the moon and it starts zooming in on that and that's when the car horn and driving sounds start to um, to to come in and then the game finishes. If you reload the game, what should happen is you should get a scene where you are Herod watching Salome mm-hmm. dance for you. That crashes every time for me for some unknown reason, but it does. Um and in that case, the only control that you have is to zoom in and, and then relax the zoom. I think it's done by the mouse button. And and once you know the context of that, where you are this girl's father, um, that that's really uncomfortable and it's uncomfortably long. It's um, I think the YouTube video that I ended up uh, going to was about five minutes and change in terms of length for that scene. Mm. Um, and there's not a lot of interactivity there, but it's five minutes of sitting there really uncomfortable and the um, the dancing actually you 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 look at the credits and you start to realise how much has gone into it because not only did they have um, Takayoshi Sato doing the the faces to to give the characters life you had um, uh, I think it's Laura Rain Smith was doing uh, character animation um, and you've also got uh, Eleanor Valerie Latchkey doing the choreography for the dance. Um, you've got uh, Jarbo's vocals in the background and um, and Jerry Demol's music, and it all comes together in that final scene for the for the dance. And you really get a sense of just how incredible it is to to have all of that going on and realise that there's no motion capture going on either. You know, when you think about the movement of that dance, given the rest of the game has been all about a lack of movement in the characters, really you've suddenly got that dance there um, that is very captivating for all its uncomfortable quality. Um, but it's it really is sort of the culmination of, of this team uh, and, and what they can do, and it's pretty impressive, I think. So, Paul, how about you? You rate this game highly. I know any particular reasons uh, beyond uh, what we've talked about, the sort of ins and outs of the game? 
I really, first time playing it, I, I didn't know the story about uh, Salome, and halfway through playing this game, I was just loving it, you know, I was, up until the point I was just questioning everything, like, what the hell is going on here, this is bananas, you know, <laughs> and at the time I was just really looking for something really unique, and then I, I totally got mm. it, and I was really happy, just kicking about, you know, exploring, and then when I found those items you were talking about, I know, you, um, Tony. You were saying that it kind of alludes to themes and, and the, the kind of timelessness of the of the tale. Mm. Um, that that is probably absolutely correct. But at the time, I was just thinking these are just wee eccentricities that artists like putting in in their creations mm. just to just because they can. It just it's an oxymoron. It's an anachronistic oxymoron that is just. That creates some kind of weird, weird feeling, you know, when you're seeing it, the anachronism, and I think you just like playing with that. To do with the horns and stuff at the end, I think that's just, I, pretty much. I think that's the same. I think it's just trying to be a wee bit. For me, this is in my opinion. I don't think it's true. Actually, I think I, I don't think I'm giving them credit. But for me, I think it's just them adding something in. And at the time, playing it for the first time, I was loving that. I, I could just <laughs> I can drink that stuff in all day. But anyway, what what struck me. First was was the sense of, as I said, the timelessness of it. But it was the colours; they were really well put together. This really phenomenal, but minimal kind of pastel skies with with the moon, yeah. and um, it feels very, very kind of warm. But there's a kind of there's a kind of chill in the air as well when you when you're looking at uh, Salome, and her, the look in her face as well. Looking, you're you're, you're kind of. Uh, the camera zooms in quite close to it. It's quite kind of uncomfortable as you're staring right at her, you know. And as you're looking at her, examining her, she kind of looks away. Her eyes move, and it's really quite kind of. It's really bizarre. It's, it's this weird timeless atmosphere, and the biggest strength for it, for me, was the was the mood and the atmosphere, and the lighting and the color. You know, just just as a tech demo, with with no story or no premise. Um, it was just something for me that I could really get my teeth into. Um, for me, it's just very unique, and um, it stands out. It's one of these games that should be allowed to exist. You know that they're just they're just something you can play for an hour, half an hour, two hours if you want to. You know, and just forget it. Just like in an art gallery, you know, when you're walking past an installation, it can either it can either tug your attention or you can just walk past it. Um, but the very fact that it exists, I think, is is something uh, quite important. And visually, you know, it is, it is pretty impressive. Aesthetically, maybe not graphically, but uh, certainly aesthetically it is something that is that reminds me very much. And it's funny because you said earlier on in the show that the, 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 uh, the owners, the creators, the directors, or whatever, of the company mm-hmm. um, were, were involved in installation art. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it's totally obvious to me now that this, this just yeah. has installation written all over it. You know, it's yeah. like, it, yeah. it's an installation in a gallery, it's like a 3D space where everything's static, but it tells a story. And you, yeah. you, you piece, in an installation in a gallery, you piece together the story, the concept, the meaning, the themes of, of, the, um, of the piece by looking at individual items, how they pertain yeah. to one another, and then you piece it all together in your mind. And that's exactly what this is. This is that's precisely what you're doing here. That that's probably a pretty decent place to move on to uh, the final game we're going to talk about, being Toilette, because if there's a game that is all about um, 
being kind of a, a tech demo. I mean, almost in in the 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 fiction that they've created to to justify the existence of the game. Um, that's exactly the case as well. Um, that that being Toleti is is a demo. I mean, in terms of what it represents as well, it's a it's a communication system that allows two people from opposite sides of the galaxy to communicate and people who are sole astronauts on space stations in the middle of space on their own to be able to to grasp some kind of intimacy uh in their in their sort of really lonely day-to-day lives um there are two parts to the game the the first part you are on a an incredibly beautiful uh beach environment uh with the sea sort of rolling in and behind you is a, a large building um which represents uh, a cafe so the first part on the beach uh you you roam about the beach um listening to seagulls around you and the sort of lapping waves um and along the the um along the water's edge text appears up in front of you uh it scrolls up the screen and then once you've read that it appears in the sand uh, it's sort of written there in in text in the sand um and and the idea is just to to walk around as if you were on a, a daily stroll out on the beach um and all of it kind of feeds into what the second part of the game is which is a it's a pseudo multiplayer communication <laughs> system Sure. <laughs> is there any better explanation for that? I, I mean, the the explanation as far as the developers are concerned, the in-game fiction is that this is a company who have developed this system uh, as a as an entertainment and communication system for astronauts. Um, it's it's bizarre. <laughs> it really is. It, it, do you want to help me out? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. The, the beach is supposed to be uh, somewhere you can stroll to kind of gather your, your thoughts, um, collect your thoughts, very literally, because as you walk uh, in the lapping waves at the at the edge of the beach, um, it's a system that they actually call passing thoughts in terms mm-hmm. of you are, you are collecting thoughts, much like you would if you were walking or strolling on a beach, you'd be thinking about things in life and, and particular ideas might come to you. And you're, so you're collecting all of these. You don't have an inventory of them, but you are, you're collecting them as, as you go. Uh, and when you get to the end of the beach, what, what happens is you realize that this beach is not a real beach. It's a, it's a holographic representation of a beach because what happens is you start to see dark sky beyond the end of, of the beach and in it you start to see stars and then planets and the music changes. There's a really dramatic music change when you get towards the edge of the of the beach and as you get to the end you come face to face with this silhouette of another human being um, that you realise is not yourself. Um, if you're playing a female character, it's a male. If you're playing a male, it's a female. Um, and you realise this is another person using another uh, version of of the of the holographic beach representation elsewhere. Uh, that piece of the software's in the fiction called T Beach. Um, and you, so you wander around this beach, and eventually you realise that this building that represents a cafe, um, you are going to have to enter. Um, when you do so, you sit down at a table, which is a chessboard, um, along the edge of which are some empty wine glasses, an ashtray, um, a packet of cigarettes and a, and a lighter. 
Um, and as you sit down, uh, the game will try to match you if there's someone available with another partner to, to play the game. Um, and playing the game consists of opening up a drawer next to you and picking out a chess piece and putting it onto the board on one of the sort of there's highlighted squares, squares on yeah. the on the board you can hover over it and each one is a different sentence that you've picked up from the beach um the problem is first time you do that you won't have any chess pieces um so you then go back outside and suddenly there is an apparition a ghostly apparition somewhere on the beach that you have to look at and you close your eyes and and you realize that you can see a sort of wireframe black background with pink and blue over the top of it version of a sort of matrix view of of this holographic world and you can uh, press a, a key to then um, interact with the apparition and when you do so um, you receive in return a chess piece and then that allows you to collect more thoughts on the beach and go back into mm. the cafe and now you have the ability to put a chess piece down and and read that line it's read in french but the text the subtitle is in english um but you quickly run out of things to say because you've only got one chess piece it only gives you so many options so you go back outside collect another chess piece and it increases each time the the number of sentences you have to say and the number of different moves you can make on the chessboard uh, to communicate. How many is there in total? Chess pieces? Uh, 16, 16 chess yeah. pieces in total, yeah. So the f- full set. Um, and a different apparition to go with each one. And these are things like there's a dead dog, dead seagulls, uh, a magnolia tree, a crane, a pier, a rainbow, uh, a lamppost, all sorts of things. Um, those are just the ones I can remember. Um, yeah, well, and so. That, yeah, them and themselves to... are, you know, are f- visually suggestive of, of what you're. You know, contemplating what you're thinking about on the beach itself, mm. the phrases can um, go along with those. So you're collect- yeah. almost collecting yeah. your thoughts. The chess pieces being the metrical, metaphorical parts of your thoughts, essentially. Yeah, it's it's a really strange experience. And what you realise from the sentences you're collecting is that all these sentences kind of pertain to a conversation that you might have with someone you're in a relationship with. So, you know, one might be, I love you. One might be, you know, um, you will always be in my life forever, that kind of thing. Mm. I, can't, I haven't written down any of the exact phrases, but they they definitely feel like part of a conversation you would be having with someone you might communicate with. Yeah. I told you uh, the truth, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's all parts, fragments of a conversation. Um, and so... I guess the easiest way to explain this is that uh, Tony, last night you were playing this, and and I happened to be online, and I hopped in well, <laughs> under my request of please help <laughs> help me now. Um, and so, yeah, I I, I hopped in, and uh, Tony, how did how did you find that? Experience? Well, I mean, it just, it, it's it's a game of two halves, really. I mean, when you when you first entered it, and you know, it is essentially a beach and a and a world, and it it takes a while to get your bearings of of what this actually symbolises and and what you actually need to do to achieve because mm. once again that there is you know it's, there is gamey elements there is there is a, a goal of a sense of trying to to find and collect things to to progress to a to more understand at least have a conversation um but it, mm. it is strange the first time you go back into the the cafe and have uh essentially a conversation when you can if there's nobody there you can have a conversation with a, a shadow um you know it's just the ai filling in filling in within that blank but i mean i found that completely abstract and confusing and and I was quite lost of 
what I what the ultimate goal I was trying to achieve was. Mm. Um, so I, I asked you to come on to Skype and because you you know obviously talk quite highly about the game and just explain some of the bases to that. And I went on to collect all sixteen chess pieces. Um, you know, explore the world a bit, understand everything yeah. that was going on, and then I mean, ultimately, it less you know it. It meant that we could have a, a full-blown conversation via the means of chess and chess pieces, um, uh, and yeah. you know it's quite. I don't know. It, it was a really strange experience. It has to be said because <laughs> ultimately, the the phrases that are are there for the person to interact with would suggest that you know you are two lovers. Um, so James and me took that position of we are two lovers having this conversation and quickly like it it seemed to me like i decided i was the woman you decided you were the man this is and, so hot yeah it, but it was i mean it, we were we were chatting for a good two hours before this point and it the, the room went deadly silent and quiet that because was it, that yeah that was the weirdest thing because it, yeah go ahead well no, it, it seemed like you know at that point but before you we attempted it and you know, I had like four phrases and you had like the, the gamut of stuff to say and like it was completely unbalanced and all I kept yeah. really asking was would you like another glass of wine and like it didn't <laughs> didn't really work um but time I mean I'd collected all the pieces and there is a, a final piece um which has huge meaning but um so yeah we we you know I was kind of accusing you or it felt like one of us was being accused of having an affair um and we were trying to talk around it and, and our feelings were being put out there. But the, the room went completely silent and it, it felt like we were almost laying our emotions bare in front of each other through just the weirdest of phrases being thrown onto the screen in a French... Well, it being spoken in French has, seems to have a, a deeper meaning in, in a weird cafe on the coast. And yeah. um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we want to put the what the ultimate final piece you collect is the piece number 16 which had huge bearing on it, I think on the conversation and yeah, the way the relationship that we had founded right from the offset had, had really twisted yeah I think that's the thing I think the, the strange thing was that by the time we'd both collected a, 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 a large number of phrases we could say in all the chess pieces um, we sat down opposite one another and the interesting was we were both playing as female characters but from my point of view, I was the female avatar. I could mm-hmm. see my hands in front of me and you were the male. And I think to you, you were the female and I was the male. So obviously the idea is even if you're both females, uh, again, this is built into the fiction of of the holographic software uh, and, and hardware system that um, that the game actually represents, um, that it, it specifically says it allows heterosexual interaction, which already says that there's something romantic going on there um, and it's specifically to give intimacy, but in this very narrow idea of what intimacy should be. So it's a male and a female talking. Um, and yeah, I think that was the telling thing was we'd been talking on Skype as we both went and collected all of the things walking around the beach. And once we sat down, it took about two sentences. You know, each of us said a sentence and we just fell silent. It was almost like that moment when you're watching a, if you're playing a game sat next to someone, you're chatting about it. Um, and a cutscene plays, you both fall silent because you want to pay attention. Mm. And that was what was happening. We both fell silent because we wanted to pay attention to the choices we were making in the game. Um, obviously, ideally, you should actually not be playing with someone you know. That The whole idea of the yeah. game is it should be someone random. Um, obviously, at, at, 
at this point, if you go on and you happen to know that a friend is on, chances are you're going to get matched because there just aren't that many well, yeah, people I mean, playing a- the game. Esoteric French game <laughs> <laughs> played at Steam at eleven o'clock at it, night. It's, like it's, it's not it's, top of you know, XBL. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not going to be top of the XBL rankings. Um, but so we each had the the sentences that we could say, and and what we started to do was try and build them into a conversation. And some of them are specifically about, say, the glass of wine. So you would say, I would like a glass of wine. And the next move I would make would be to pour a glass of wine and you would do the same. Um, and and when you lit a cigarette, I then did the same. And, and you get that sort of the rapport going. And when you first, I mean, enter this, I mean, I, I, I what was odd for me was I had two completely different reactions to this game. When I first played it, I found it, yeah, to we've avoided the word pretentious for the entirety of this podcast, but I shall bring it out for this very moment. <laughs> I found it pretentious nonsense, um, and and I was failing to see what the hook was. Yet progressing through collecting all the chess pieces allowed me to, I think I, I believe, experience the game at, at its fullest, and allowed us certainly you know because we got together actually to explore everything that you know the memes of the game um so i can i can understand from both reasons how somebody could actually be you know completely not understand it certainly i i think like the the chess section i think is all important but mm-hmm. when you're playing on your on your own and you're just playing against a computer like it, the interaction you can have is very limited and yeah. that side of it really falls down um but i mean I, the, the 16th piece you collect is a gun um yeah. so all the other all the other pieces that you find in the environment have, have turned just into chess, chess pieces, pieces. Yeah. so the final piece that you actually find is is a physical um piece that you can bring, bring back into the cafe and and you know the first move i made was to place this gun on the board right in the middle, right of, the in the middle of this yeah. chess board yeah uh, and straight from the, the outset i mean that that suggests that the the situ- you know if we are two lovers having this this conversation like there is an element of danger uh, to be had than one person accusing of the other person and it, it could yeah. overspill into something. So even if um, you would say a phrase that was quite provocative for me to react to it, for instance, at that point, I took a cigarette and just lit it, which in its own meaning, on its own, when you're just lighting a cigarette, it's like, okay, well, look, I can like a cigarette and the game, that's not that great. But mm. in that instant, you had said something very provocative and all I did was light a cigarette as to say, and... Yeah, um, you're yeah, refusing to actually answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, of course, is that to you that was a very real and physical gun. To me, it was a holographic gun. Mm. So, whilst you've placed a gun there, and had we both been in the same room in the cafe, which is obviously what the software in in the game's fiction is trying to to represent, then yeah, that would be a, a very threatening thing to do. But actually, in going with all of the um all of the different sentences and the and the 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 tone of them that you can say in this conversation it becomes very clear that the relationship is breaking down to you because you had a physical gun there there was clearly it was breaking down because of the fault of one person and the other person was blaming and therefore there was a sense of danger to me when there's a holographic gun there that's much more about um the conversation takes a different tone because it's about two people know that the relationship's breaking down and are trying desperately to cling on to this last piece of intimacy they have, knowing that actually outside of this software, they are alone in space. There's no one there for them to interact with. They need this interaction. 
and they walk in there and put a gun down on the table because they are so lonely that to me they are at their wits end they are literally contemplating suicide and all they have left is desperation to put a gun out in front of them and say please help me I'm this low so it's amazing how mm. this the conversation we had is definitely stilted it's definitely awkward it doesn't flow as a conversation but we both got the same information and we both got the same tone that the relationship that, that you're interacting you know or trying to act out Some is, at wit's is, end, is yeah. failing it's definitely failing but because you had a very real gun there and to me I want a physical harm where you're yeah, metaphorical exactly. yeah it, emotional it brings a very different uh, a very different outcome to to the setting of that conversation and um, I, I, but I do wonder I mean, the, the phrases are very abstract and it in you know it's I mean they're meant to be and it, the game's yeah. clearly going for this you know the french tone in in that way and um but as I said to you, I felt like I needed one or two more phrases to either end the conversation because you use your final chess piece. And if you've used the phrase, all your phrases up, I mean, you could essentially end with a phrase which is, you know, would you like another glass of wine? Which is like <laughs> before that, like you, 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 yeah. you know, I, I suppose you could just right click and exit and, you know, make a very physical presence of, of leaving the actual room itself. Yeah. Yeah. But it felt like, you know, if I had one or two more phrases, I could have a, a real conversation and, you know, but then I suppose we could have just talked on Skype. But <laughs> but I mean, Paul, I mean, James and me had a very kind of real kind of connection to this because I think, you know, we had managed to play this together in, in that way. But, you know, you weren't there doing that. So did you discover somebody in that room or, or was it a quite a lonely experience for you? Um, I guess it was quite a lonely experience, you know, um, I had done the simulation aspect of it and sometimes it would come up, you know, during your simulation, press uh, A to connect to a player, telling you that there's a, a player has joined the room, you can try and connect yeah. to them, but even then it said connection timed out, which <laughs> yeah, was, a, which was yeah. a very kind of immersion-breaking uh, thing to see. Actually, if I'd known, if I'd actually looked up the website, you know, and looked up the the premise of the, of the game, perhaps it wouldn't have been... Yeah, actually, um, it fits, doesn't it? It does yeah. fit perfectly well. <laughs> um, but at the time, I was very much lost in it, uh, and yeah. I, that kind of broke it. Um, I found the I found the kind of abstract concept of uh, being on the beach. Beach is often conveyed in, in film and whatnot as being at the, kind of the frontier of your kind of subconscious, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. I think at that point you are literally. Um, Building your vocabulary like that—that that is essentially what you're doing. Saying as life is a, a series of building your experiences and, and mm-hmm. uh, building your vocabulary in order to express yourself properly as part of a couple. So then, when you go in to the chat, you're you're literally again literally you're building your your ability to communicate in a game of chess, which is you could make the the analogy of a relationship being almost like chess. Uh, you know, two people <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. sit against each other, trying to trying to play the game. I'm being really tenuous here, but play the, the game of life type thing. Um, mm. I liked that. I thought it was really clever. Um, I liked doing it. I did find what Tony was saying the, the vocabulary very restrictive. Um, I didn't actually. I've not got so far as the the gun, so mm. I didn't know that was coming. But that that's interesting for me. When mm. when you mentioned the gun, it was. It would be in my mind when I saw the gun. It would be you getting to the point the communication's breaking down, and I did find it very yeah. difficult to communicate with the other person and trying, trying to 
express yourself and I was unable to do so so I'd try and get some more words that was quite mm. frustrating um, but there would be the gun would be a pull on the trigger you know the inevitable end of a relationship as, yeah. as you said James both people both parties trying to keep this relationship alive Absolutely. but at some point you need to bring the gun out you know if things are breaking down so bad yeah. you need to bring the mm. metaphorical gun out and pull the trigger you need to end that relationship mm. Um that would be, I think, that would be quite a powerful thing. I, it was weird. The, the, the overall, that all stuff, I really enjoyed. That was cool. But um, what I took from it was, it was really weird seeing those kind of phrases on screen. The kind of phrases that I've probably used before in a relationship during a fight, <laughs> trying to communicate. You know, in those long kind of two a.m. text message sessions, where you say certain things, perhaps a wee bit more dramatic than than you need, or you're you're a bit saying, you know. Um, one of those words is actually die. Is, did you come across that one? Uh, th- there's a massive bank of them. I think I did originally when I was playing the game, but neither of us had that um, as an option. That yeah. phrase last night. Uh, that's a real weird one because when you mentioned the mm. gun, I thought die. I put that together. I was like, oh, that's really bizarre. Anyway, but my point being, when you've seen these phrases on screen, mm. in my mind, when I've used those phrases in the past, similar phrases in the past, have been very private. Mm. You know, it's between two people, but then seeing that on screen it was I had a weird reaction to it it was almost like mm. quite startling you know like a kind of gut punch you're like oh shit okay that that's really yeah. that's really hurtful you know that's a really cold calculated thing to say you know that's quite ambiguous you know and it's, it's all this, these problems that I consistently have with relationships that <laughs> seeing that on screen was really weird yeah. it was kind of affirming in a sense knowing that other people have felt this you know this mm. tense this this dramatic this finality during a relationship um, you have I think pretty much everyone has experienced a relationship disintegrating yeah. You know, and for me, my life experiences informed my experience with the game, which was very, very impactful. Um, even though it was pretty much just a simulation, and that even that even made it slightly better because I, I knew I was trying to communicate with someone that we weren't on the same wavelength. You know, they mm. weren't communicating back, and I was trying yeah. to say one thing, and they would hit me back with something totally irrelevant, like only an AI, or, you know, a really <laughs> bad partner can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that made that kind of disconnect, and, and the distance thing as well, um, it was all, yeah, centred around this relationship, and it was just a weird confluence of, I know my, my thoughts here are divergent at the, at the best times, but that is what it felt like, it felt very um, meandering, you know, very, very chaotic, yeah. very bizarre confluence of, of events and, and phrases and memories and all this stuff just combined in once and I, I thought it was very very evocative you know very very powerful but ultimately very kind of mysterious and, and quite and quite difficult to kind of nail down how you're feeling you know it's a very very complex relation uh, very complex emotions are dealing with mm-hmm. here and just presenting an environment in which that can happen, I think that's really, it's really powerful. You know, it's really, it's really unique, yeah. especially in video games. You know, it's a very unique thing to to go through, and I, mm. I like it. I didn't like it anywhere near as much as it's fatal, but as a unique experience, as I was saying, you know, the gallery analogy, um, as a unique experience, I thought it was it certainly, it certainly invoked in me certain things I didn't think uh, a game could mm. put it that way. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's quite interesting because 
in obviously in the fiction of the game, the people using this uh, this system, this communication software, uh, they do not know the person they're communicating with. It's a random encounter. So you log on to the system. If there's someone else communicating at the same time, you'll be matched up with them and you can interact. Which means that actually both parties are role-playing because clearly this is, this, as we've said, this is a conversation that you have at the end of a relationship. But you're forced to have that conversation with someone not only at the beginning of a relationship, but that you don't know. Mm. Um, and so you're both playing a role. So it really is that idea of forced intimacy. Um, to to You're just playing a role as if a relationship was ending. Um, it should be said that all of the text and uh, all of the, the apparitions that, that you see out on the beach um, come from the the novels and works of Marguerite Dura. Um and and she obviously I, I haven't read any of her work and it's interesting that unlike Fatal where I immediately wanted to read the play after I'd, I'd played Fatal in this case I, I almost don't want to read her work and not not any disrespect to her because clearly she's an incredibly emotional and, and uh, fantastic writer but um, I almost want to just take from the game what I take from the game and just just use her her words her uh her the items you see on the beach as just the the tools with which to take my own experience from it and not really um not have to see them in a different context i guess is is the way i would say it um i just think it's interesting that the whole thing is built around her works but they don't they don't rely on the narrative of any of her works whatsoever you're you're forced to create your own nar- narrative based on the game that you're you're given which i think's it's an interesting way of doing it when you talk about using literature and games it tends to be an adaptation directly almost uh, almost 100% of the time yeah I, I, of all the games i i feel like they could have gone a little just to to play cater a normal crowd maybe just make it a little bit more accessible um I, yeah. Then I just I, like I because I've seen both sides of it. I, I've gone from really not understanding to to you know getting quite emotional over you know a, a couple of scenes, and I feel like I, I wouldn't have got there without some guidance, at least from from yourself. Like I was ready mm. ready to to throw in the towel purely as okay, this is inter- interesting from a from a maybe an academic point of view, but you know it isn't something that I'm you know I, you know I'm going to get yeah. much from, and that's a lot of that was due to it's it's I, I think the two player nature of the chess. I wonder if the game was two separate sections. If I just concentrated on the beach, um, and and that was a game in in itself of you to collect faults of yourself on the beach and all those mm. aspects tied into one, and then the chess game could be made into something maybe a you know a different. But I understand how they glue together, um, and I think it makes for probably for the better experience having that. But um, just coming from it quite blind, I, I found it at, at times impenetrable. But uh, but at the end, you know, I, well, extremely interesting. So, do you think going on, uh, continuing with playing this game, do you feel like it's it's kind of evasive nature, stopping you from getting your teeth into it. I, I think they could have just done a better job at describing what was going on in the chess section. I, I think that mm. the beach section is pretty self-explanatory. You know, you are wandering the beach, collecting your thoughts. I mean, it's. I mean, you can you can take whatever you want from the actual symbolism of the the things you you collect on the beach. It be a, a rainbow or you know seeing a ship. I mean, you can say that that's of anything you look at. Um, 
but the, just going into the the cafe and, and playing a chess, I mean, I, I at first I was like, do I need to play this as chess or, you know, what are seeing the first time, you yeah. know, there's so few f- phrases there and they seem to all basically just talk about, would you like another glass of wine? That It seemed to be, well, is there more to this game? Like, what do they do? Sit here and smoke and drink wine? <laughs> like, it, it felt, felt like all that stuff was hidden away from, you know, the player just wanting to explore. And you, I mean, you've already entered... I mean, you've paid money. I mean, this isn't a free game on the internet that you, you just come across on a web browser. I mean, you've mm-hmm. you've entered it, you've paid money for it, so you, the hope is you will explore more. But I feel like to get the most out of this game... I mean, it even says at the right at the very start, this, this is a two-player experience. Um mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how many people are really there to, to sit there and play as, as two player and like you say James I think ideally you don't want to be knowing the player on the other end of the chessboard but yeah. I think to know, ensure that you have that experience you kind of have to make sure that there's someone on there yeah, and beyond launch day yeah. I, I, yeah, that whittles down it's, to almost it's, impossible yeah it's worth saying that um, the, the red curtain and the illuminated window in the building the that represents the cafe that should mean that there's someone in there waiting for a player um i'm not entirely convinced that always works at the moment there's there's been as Paul found, be. there's been some issues yeah. with the the um the net code for that but um that's the idea so i guess that's the way in which you should be able to ensure that but um it's interesting that you said that it would have been better to or you would have maybe got more out of it initially if you'd had some instruction and maybe it'd been made a bit more friendly to to someone who's just coming into to this game because i was reading through the tale of tales blog uh today and interestingly um i assume it's mikhail because of the the umlauts but mikhail salmon uh, a quote that that uh he had on one of his blog posts was in at least one of our future projects we will attempt to make something that people like and I thought that was very telling. It's very, very dry and very self-aware of, of the games he's making and his audience. I mean, they are making uh, games or experiences, whatever you want to call them, that some people like. But he clearly understands that what they're making is not going to be yeah, for I, everyone. I, and it, Yeah, yeah, no, I, and go ahead. Well, I mean, I mean this, this covers all of, of Tales work. I... I mm-hmm. I think back. I mean, if you look back into maybe the, the two thousand eight, two thousand nine, love of the graveyard and the path. I think that there's there wasn't too much out there trying to to achieve what they were achieving. Just you know, it's just a piece of visual you know art and, and kind of sub, subverting what video games are. You know, I think that was understandable back then. Now with stuff like Journey, which I I think mm. combines both elements of leaving a lot for the player to to break down the you know the kind of intellectual barrier and and see and work out stuff for themselves about what's going on i mean flower did the same thing like there's there's more to those games than just flying around and collecting petals um but they also have a sense of gameplay to it which immerses the player to a i find anyway something with a journey and flowers uh, to a to a greater degree which then has a, a big and emotional impact via the end of the game um mm. so i i think yeah i understand where it was coming from isn't yeah, it? I, yeah but i think games have taken another leap beyond what they present yeah. now and i think you know now they almost feel abstract for the sake of being abstract which is yeah. a difficult thing on occasions to appeal to swallow I think on that note, before we give our our own summaries, it's probably worth just uh, reading uh, Leon's comment. He he's played and reviewed uh, Bientoletti, 
Um, and it, it's worth possibly just introducing this here because I think this speaks to what you're you're saying, Tony, about this game in particular. Um, so Leon says, I can only speak of being Toiletti. Um, I'm dead into the idea of games that are different from the norm and challenge the emotions and or cerebral functions as well as the game design conventions. After 35 years of playing various variations on Space Invaders, Pole Position and Minor 2049er, <laughs> I'm always interested to try something new. Unfortunately, I didn't gel with being Toiletti one little bit. I found it cold, repetitive and willfully oblique with its mumbled utterances over chess with Galois and Bordeaux playing out like a bad pastiche <laughs> of pseudo-intellectual French art house film. The developer's intentions possibly went way over my head but it just didn't engage me uh, on any level beyond ooh, the beach is quite pretty. I'd still be interested to try Tale of Tales other works though it may simply be that this one didn't speak to me. Um. I, th- I think that probably speaks to what you're saying, Tony, which is that uh, a lot of people who do look for interesting uh, artistic expressions through the form of video games uh, are still going to approach something like Bientoletti and be left kind of nonplussed and, and not necessarily finding anything to take away from it through no fault of their own and not necessarily through any fault of the developer, but just by the nature of its of its form and its uh, unapproachability. On that note, um, before we do uh, our summaries, we'll just quickly do some three-word reviews. There, there's four of them, which I think was... It's more than I was expecting. Pro- so. Probably more than <laughs> expected, yeah. Um, Tony, would you like to take the first one, and then Paul, if you do the second, I'll do the, uh, the third, and then we'll finish up with you, Tony, at the end, if that's okay. How do you say that? <laughs> oh, that's that's Rach Haslam. It's right, short for okay, Rachel right. Haslam, yeah. Rach Haslam? Grandma? Grandma? Grandma! A combine hunter. Interesting. Needs more. The Sonic Mole says, Kudos Rejarbo, uh, a reference to uh, Tale of Tales having used Jarbo for vocals and music in a couple of their games. We Mad Ando. Lovely folk song, once again. Referring to the song, I assume at the end of the graveyard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, both both that you did, Tony, were uh, referring to mm. to the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, so our summaries. Um, I'll go first, and uh, I think it's suffice to say we we haven't really touched on the are these games issue. Um, I tend to I've written a blog post about this on Cane and Rinse. I tend to back away from that because I think. All too often, the response of and and this being Toiletti and other Tale of Tales uh, works have have had the response of this isn't a game. It always sounds a bit like to me when I used to play, you know, Metallica or something, and my mum would walk in and say, "That's not music." <laughs> it, it's all good and well, you know. Um, the post that Chopper referred to. Um, talking about re- describing um, the path as game-like interactive art was very explicit on saying that, that saying something's not a game, is, a game isn't a value judgment, but I think a lot of the time it is when you're saying it's not a game. It's delivered in the same way that a video game is. It uses a lot of the same conventions, plays with some of those conventions, and it takes the form in many ways of, of a video game. So yes, the semantic argument for someone who might be a a sort of formalist was the way this guy described himself in terms of wanting to have a a definition for what a game means and needing, you know, uh, competitive, objective-driven 
defined experience that would that would have to have certain aspects in order to be called a game. I understand that and I respect the fact that, yeah, maybe if we start looking at dictionary definitions, something that has no objective, you know, Bientoletti goes out of its way to say it's not a game to be won, there is no goal, there is no story, there is no end, just play it for the experience. But I think debating whether it's a, whether these are games or not is kind of missing a certain amount of the point and it's kind of dominating a discussion about these games that doesn't need to be had because whatever we want to call it, I am so, so happy that there is a company out there attempting to do what Tale of Tales are attempting to do. Each one of these experiences has very specific emotional resonance and meaning for me um, to the point where I went and read an Oscar Wilde play. I've never read any of his work. Obviously, I know who he is, but I just never read his work. And that's a, a massive part of of culture that I hadn't experienced and that Fatal gave me. Um a, a take on Red Riding Hood that I have never seen a, a take that is is that dark and and uncomfortable, but but is still got a, a real maturity to it in the way that that's that's presented. And being Toiletti, I'm quite willing to accept that I'm I'm putting a lot of myself into that experience in order to enjoy it. But I'm quite happy to do so. I um. I'm happy to follow Tale of Tales, um, find what they do, hope that they go back and complete some of their previous projects that haven't been released. Um, yeah, the the games just mean quite a lot to me and uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that they exist and that I've had the chance to experience them. Tony, your thoughts? Uh, I've learnt my lesson from uh, Dear Esther saying, <laughs> is it a game? So uh, I'm glad we've uh, avoided that. And and I think it actually becomes more of a non-issue uh, the further we progress because, you know, games can be whatever they want to be. I mean, we're just burdened with game as a, a subtitle and it, it causes yeah. all weird connotations that actually has no need to be there. Um, you know, art can be many things and films can be many things. So, that, yeah, it, it goes yeah. across the game. But I, I think Tales of Tales, I'd like, like I said, I, I think... In some respects, they've laid a path hey, <laughs> um, <laughs> for other developers maybe to to run with some of the the aspects that they've brought into game development. Um, um, but I mean, from from these games, I mean, it's it's strange. The one that I I seem to took the most from was a five minute game of a woman walking essentially to her grave, um, because you know. It, Although it's the most simplest, I felt like I could put the most of me into her, which is is odd. Um, as for uh, as for the path, I, I, that's I mean we we talked about many aspects, and I I, I really I, I thought that was a really interesting take on uh, Red Riding Hood. Um, mm. But we've we've gone over it quite a bit, so I, I think I'll probably put all my emotions into into talking about that. I, I I thought that was really interesting. I understand probably how that took them from pretty obscurity into into more of the limelight. Yeah. Um, I'm I, I I feel like I I was missing a segment from Fatal to, to hook me in, and although I found elements of it interesting, it it I found the game to be quite a chore to get through um, mm. and just listening to you guys talk I feel like I should have at, at some point stopped read more about what what it was trying to explore um, and, and came back to it but I, I 
just pushed on through and I, you know, I feel like I was missing a link there and you know maybe that's a lesson for somebody else that wants to explore these games to, to maybe bone up a bit of, on, on the history before <laughs> before entering in that world but it was interesting mm. um, and Benano Letty it, what an odd experience as, as I said before I, I've gone from finding it very inapproachable and and maybe actually feeling exactly what Leon was talking about to mm. spending more time of it with with you James and actually having a real quite emotional and, and powerful ending to it um yeah and I'm not too sure how accessible that is to everybody but I mean it, if you've got this far and you haven't actually played the games I think with the knowledge that we've given you you know at, at least you can understand the route that you should be heading and and, and spend a good couple of hours just just actually playing within the environment and and kind of taking it all in because I think if you can get to the end, the payoff, if you happen to find another player online, could actually be amazingly impactful. In fact, I know you said that you did find a player when you first played the game and instantaneously they laid the gun gun on the table and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I had exactly. no meaning to yeah. you. I was like, okay, and no, what's this? No, I didn't, because I was very early in the game yeah. and they put a gun out there. I didn't have a gun, which... Um, in theory, we both walked into that room with, or rather, I walked in with the gun in my possession and you didn't have a gun, but then you were able to pick the gun up and put it onto the table. So yeah, it's weird. It's it interesting. Resets, I, wonder, it? I wonder if it's if it's only possible for one player to, to take that gun, which would be incredibly interesting if it was, mm. but that's it's minutiae we don't need to be talking no, about I, at the but, moment. No, but so. I mean, I think they're a really interesting collection of games. I mean, are they for everyone? Mm. Clearly not. I mean, it... it there's no point pretending that you know will this be the most popular show the Canaan has ever done no but I think they're important games that now uh, lay foundations and I'm certainly interested to see where Tales of Tales progress from this point um, yeah. and it's interesting to see that they, they're going to try to make something maybe which people like which is an interesting way of <laughs> phrasing your next project yeah and Paul your summary I think and Tony just said is pretty much bang on. He said these games are they're important and they lay a foundation. Um, I think the only one for me that well the path does, but the only one for me that, that stands on its own as a as kind of cash in the check that the development house have written was uh, Fatal. I think it was incredibly well done, well conceived. Um, it was layered in a way that I really like. Something for me to get my teeth into to really enjoy has to be layered, and that had, as I was saying, with the anachronisms and stuff like that, and the, the, the weird uh, imagery. It was very well done, well executed. For me, it was very deep and rich, and it was allowed me to explore it. That for me, that's that is by far their biggest triumph. Um, Biento Letty, it's it's not that I, I don't like it. It's just I don't. I don't think it, I don't think it, it's very effective in what it's trying to do. I think if it was if it was trying to if it was being more kind of evasive and esoteric, then I think it, it should have pulled back a bit from the literally sitting down at chess with the wine and the and the cigarettes inside the house. I didn't find it visually very very interesting. Yeah. Um, I thought the the brown board chessboard was exceptionally dull um, and didn't really, yeah. didn't really do anything for me, the beach was stunning you know, the area outside yeah, yeah. which yeah. added to that disconnect between the two different places I was like, this doesn't feel this cafe environment, the sound actually again this always comes up, the sound being incredibly good 
the sound in the cafe when you're inside, it builds up, it gets busier. You know that mm. that adds to the atmosphere way more than the visuals. So um, also when you're both smoking, it comes incredibly big smoking. But I I don't I just don't I think you said the question are these game are these are these games I would say um, yes they are games but don't hold that against them <laughs> I think <laughs> games are, are very very few if any games have even tried to to go along this path you know hey. Um, <laughs> And these guys are doing it. They're not blazing a trail. I think they're doing it quite badly. <laughs> In most cases, I think Fatal had a, had a dreadful camera and control control scheme. And Bientoletti, I think it's a mishmash of ideas that are poorly executed. I enjoy it. I think it's great. But I just think it needs to go one way or the other. You know, it needs to be super abstract and really expressive and really visual or it needs to go into that story with the premise, you know, it needs to have the, the chess mm. set and, 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 and fully commit to that mm. um, but for me that that's a bit of a failing and you know it was, it's a long time coming and they're not they're not throwing these games out so I'm wondering what they are going to do in the future. Yeah, you actually, I mean, it's a surprise if I haven't mentioned someone like David Lynch, you know, as a, a, a point but um just listen. I mean, they. I mean, they've done what four, maybe six games potentially. At this point, you would have thought you almost feel like they they've got a you know a, somebody would have given them enough cash to go off and make something big. But you almost feel like that's a terrible thing if that happens. Like they're they're there. They keep on just yeah. like they maybe they need to be this you know small team that's just producing these off the wall things and maybe they enjoy that maybe it's not about the money I mean yeah, absolutely they're, they're doing them well you know I mean the, the animations yeah. and the characters were all really good in the past yeah. the animations yeah. were great and Bientoletti you know the main character her animation his or her animations moving about they're quite they're very good you know they're very expressive mm-hmm. and they're surprisingly good for, for such a, a kind of we would imagine to be a, a low a, a low budget kind of indie game it, it's the breaking down of the barriers of you know the, the not even the triple A but just other games which have a, would have a wider appeal which there's aspects of all these games which would be interesting in bigger titles if somebody you know ran with it but being tucked away in these small experimental titles you know in the corner almost in the corner somewhere which you need to trip over or someone to suggest it it feels like you know there's that big audience that you know there's going to be nobody that Apart from the the hardest of the hardcore, actually going out there and, and messing around with this mm. stuff, which is a shame. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think there's, there's a huge audience for it, and I don't think there's a huge yeah. paying audience for it. So, for that kind of thing, but um, but I, th- I think you're right, Paul. The the longer that the controls and the mechanics are are a, a hurdle or a barrier to people who do want to enjoy these experiences, actually enjoying them as much as maybe they could, that's even further minimising the 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 people who get to to experience this and in, and enjoy it and take something from it absolutely um, that's that's not the part of the the experience that should no. be the the thing that's hard to grasp or the thing that's evasive no. you know as no. I make the analogy of walking up to a painting to experience the painting if you're tripping over stuff on your way there you know you're not going to experience it and for me the the yeah. bad can if it were any game you know the, the the controls the mechanics aren't what make the game they just need to be in my opinion they just need to be there you know they just need to they need to be good they need to be solid they need to allow the player to do what they want to do and then they can experience the art of it you know I just think that um, these games 
they just need that extra they need something in order to make me experience the art a bit a wee bit better um, but apart from my own persistence you know like it needs to be it needs to be a wee bit not more accessible just not a, not a hurdle you know not a barrier yeah less inaccessible rather than more accessible i suppose <laughs> basically that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> thanks james <laughs> But yeah, no, Neil. I think you need to. You should definitely experience them, or even on a steam sale, a steam sale, um, pick them up. Especially the path and fatal. I'd say. You know, I think I think those are the, the two that do what they do best. <laughs> um, but they're definitely doing something really unique, and I just hope they they get better at it. Okay, and there we have it. That's our thoughts on the four games of Tale of Tales that uh, that we've discussed. Um, Time to round up the show. You can play along with Kane and Rince Volume 2. Next week will be Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. After that, Driver San Francisco. Then Castlevania Symphony, Symphony of the Night. Then wrapping up Uncharted series with Uncharted 3 Drapes Deception. And then we'll be talking about Fez. Following that is the classic, maybe, uh, Aliens, <laughs> Colonial Marines, Dishonored, Minecraft... Tomb Raider 2013, El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron. And then we're moving on to another reboot, DMC, Devil May Cry, Deadly Premonition, Star Wings, Star Fox, Lylat Wars, Star Fox 64, pick whichever two you want to listen to. <laughs> uh, then it's Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, hopefully without a Yorkshire accent. Uh, Fahrenheit and Indigo Prophecy starts our David Cage 2 parter. And if that wasn't enough, Super Meat Boy to whip your appetite, L.A. Noir, Psychonauts, and finishing episode 100, Heavy Rain. You can take a look at Quick Rinse videos via the blog or the Kane and Rinse YouTube channel. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse. Facebook.com is Facebook. Well, Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Kane and Rinse. You can support us by subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on iTunes. Check out the Kane and Rinse periodical and check out the Kane and Rinse Minecraft server, all available on the blog. Absolutely. You can join the Kane and Rinse community and have your say on upcoming games. Uh, if you go to kaneandrinse.com forward slash forum, or there is a big button top right corner on the homepage. All of this, the upcoming schedule and more can be found at caneandrinse.com. Thank you very much to Tony for joining me tonight and also to Paul. I wanted to specifically say that you can check out his work on ready-up.net, including uh, an article I thought was really great on fixed camera angles. Um, So yeah, thank you very much, Paul, for joining us. Thank you very much. And thank you, Tony. No worries. We will see you next week for Uncharted 2.